Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins and this week, Matt Stewart. How good is it to be alive? Thanks Yay! so much for having me. Well done, everyone. We did it. Oh, just making the edit a little difficult here with and levels. Scene. Beautiful. Jeez, Bob. I mean, freaking hell. I'm so sorry that I was. You came in a little hot I'm there. Sorry, I was really happy that you were on the episode this week. Great to have you here, Matt. I when wanted, was the last time I missed? I wanted you to feel, I I wanted you to feel welcome on Dave and my podcast. Yeah, great. You're our favourite guest. I and have you've not like immediately come in and had a go at me and you're a guest here. Yes, yeah, sorry. Oh, Actually, you're it. not my favourite. You're my top two. Top two guest. That's top two guest. wild. Yeah. <laughs> With Cass? Yeah. Great. I don't even fucking make top two. I'm well, a you're not a guest. You're a co-host. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, you don't even know the bit you're doing. That's why <laughs> you're now not on the show. Your okay. energy I'm, sucks this is my today. Show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jess might not know the bit she's doing, but she does know what this show is, Jess. For people who haven't heard it before. I think we should start again. This is off. Let's start from the top. Here we go. Dave, do it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave, how's it going? So good to be here, Jess. You're looking fantastic, Dave. You're looking pretty good as well. <laughs> Thanks. And how good is it to be alive? I can't believe I'm in the room with two cutie patooties. <laughs> you All know right, what? No, no, no. Let's start again. No, 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 Matt, because when you said, like, Jess, you're looking good, I was like, here we go, reducing me to just my looks, as, you know, society does. But then you said it to Dave, and I was like, okay, it's e- equality. And then you said, it's good to be alive, and I was like, well, actually, it is pretty good to be alive. <laughs> and then you said, it's good to be in the room with two cutie patooties, and I was like, he's won me. He's got me back. Oh, okay. He's got me back. All right, because, yeah, are you sure we shouldn't start again? No, I think that's I fine. I don't feel good about that. So I'll explain uh, how the show works. Beautiful. Please. 
Well, what we do is one of the three of us uh, takes a, a topic usually suggested to us by the listeners. We research that topic. We bring it back to the other two. We tell them all about it and they listen politely. Um, they, you know, they encourage us along the way. They are the wind beneath our wings. This week it is Dave Warnicke's turn to present to Matt and I a topic. So you are both the wind beneath my wings this week. Mm. Yeah, I'm your left wing. I'm your right wing. Thank you, wing. Uh, get out of my country. <laughs> uh, but I, <laughs> I, I um, yeah, I, 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 wor- I worry that uh, this little ironic uh, intro we do each week where we say we don't interrupt, there's people who come in and they go, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It's finally I- one of those podcasts where they don't interrupt. I'm sick of hearing three friends have a nice time together. Yeah. <laughs> I just want cold hard facts. And let me just say to you right now, because Matt and Dave are too polite to say this to you, but I'm a bad bitch and yeah. I don't care. Hey, hey, you. Yep. Sometimes not every podcast is for you, and that's okay. Um, but get out of our country, <laughs> <laughs> the country of Dugo One. Yes, um, we're a micro nation. So, Dave, we usually get onto topic with a question. What is your question? My question to both of you is: Which Olympics Ooh. is yes. best remembered for a tragic event that has nothing to do with sport? Ooh, it's oh, it's Munich. Munich. Matt got in just just there. If we go back to the clock, correct. I uh, was actually just being. I was just letting you finish a sentence. Not me. <laughs> Not me. If I do that, because w- my problem is if I l- let people finish a sentence, when I go to talk, the next sentence is halfway through. Yeah. So right. I really have to go in. You got to get in straight early. Away. Sort of when it sounds like ha- you're halfway through a sentence, I get in and hope that that times out that <laughs> you've finished the sentence when I'm talking. Yeah, Munich. What year was that? 1972. 1972 Munich Olympics. That's right. That's what we're going to be talking about here today Great. do you know much about that that games or the tragedy i know that eric banner was in a movie but i haven't seen it 100 percent. what i was going to say i know the eric banner film that i also haven't seen i know very very minimal in fact pretty much nothing mm. which well, is bad isn't it no no let me let me educate you so to speak great uh, this topic's been suggested by a few people and voted for by our patreon supporters really appreciate them uh Choosing this topic is an epic, but um, I think that shows a very interesting story. And thank you to Megan Rife from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, Kelly Trey from Vancouver, and Xavier Zayas from Rochester. Xavier Zayas. Yeah, incredible name. Holy shit, that's a great name. And uh, Where's Rochester? I'm not sure if it's the Victorian country town mm-hmm. or maybe in England. Yeah, it's like, the original Rochester, but it doesn't English. say Xavier wherever you are. Thank you so much to you, Kelly and Megan, for suggesting this topic. So let's jump in. So the games of the twentieth Olympiad were held in Munich in West Germany from the twenty sixth of August to the eleventh <gasps> of September, nineteen seventy two. Two important dates on everyone's calendar. That's right. Just oh. just eighteen years before the birth of Jesper Perkins. Yeah. God. What it would have been like to live in a world before me. You were like a reverse adult that year. Wow. If you think about it. If you think about it in a pretty odd way. <laughs> That's true. It's uh, <laughs> Your fetus could have got a, like a reverse driver's license that year. <laughs> I'll give you think about it. If you think about it. And it does make you think. <laughs> I've never lived in a world without Jess Perkins. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But you've both lived in a world without me. Yeah. I've, and I've lived Best in a two world days of my life. <laughs> Best uh, centuries of my life. It's been a real grind these last 30-odd years. Dave, maybe one day you will have to live in a world with no Jess Perkins. And I just want you to prepare yourself. I hope not. Are you going to live on the moon? (laughs) (laughs) 
I've, I didn't know how to bring this up to you guys, but I am. We are going to have to do this remotely for a while because I am moving to the moon. Oh, first podcast from the moon. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm doing a moon change. <laughs> <laughs> so Munich was the second time Germany hosted the Olympics, which it previously held in 1936 under the Nazi regime. Ah. The 36 games were really used by Hitler as a propaganda tool for his regime. There's a lot of controversy before the games where the countries thought, you know, they're wondering, should we compete over there or not? And in the intervening years, Germany had, of course, gone to war against the world for World War II and Nazis committed the atrocities of the Holocaust. Because of this still recent history, the West German government had been eager to have the Munich Olympics present a democratic and optimistic new Germany to the world. Yeah, sorry about that. We're cool now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. We're okay now. The game's official motto was Die Hertian Spiel or The Cheerful Games. Okay. That's nice. The problem is they've got die in there. Yeah. <laughs> German, does- not a cheerful language. Yeah. What is a cheerful language? Um, not French. It's sexy. Yeah, well, French that's so is sexy. sexy. What's cheerful? Irish? Irish is pretty cheerful. It can be quite melancholic, though, Irish. Mm, the language. Mm. Mm. The people. The land. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what's a cheerful language. Yeah. It was also known as the Games of Peace and Joy. Oh. It's so, nice. That's so nice. basically, it was a way for West Germany to paint itself in a different light on one of the world's biggest stages as it invited the world to come back to Germany. But The Guardian writes, quote, It was never going to be easy to forget the recent past. The Olympic Park had been built just six miles from the Dachau concentration camp on the site of the Oberweissenfeld Airport. So that's you know, looming over everyone the whole time. Mm. To continue the quote, after the war, the area had been used to dump 10 million cubic metres of debris created by the Allied bombing of Munich. You can see there is a great deal that we are trying to bury, finally and forever, with the Games of 1972, a member of the organising committee told The Guardian's Peter Harvey before the opening ceremony. We so much want these games to be full of peace and sport and nothing else. Can you be full of peace? Oh, yeah. Oh, up to here. I kind of feel like peace is a little bit of like a base level. And then if you're trying to be full of peace, you're being like overly nice. I love going out and getting peace. Peace off my tits. <laughs> Just yeah, off to the eyeballs. It's been yeah. ages since I've been completely peace. Yeah, you should try it again. Yeah. Loosen up a bit. <laughs> Get a bit of peace in here. <laughs> I'm peacing right now. What? <laughs> That's inappropriate, man. We're at work. We're at work. You can, you've really got to stop that, <laughs> Dave. Right. Dave. Dave. Try and try and sober up with a bit of hate. Thank We're not you. mad. We're just disappointed. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> um, you know, in, they in Germany they actually call it München, which I think is far superior oh to Munich. It always is. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Deutschland, München. München. Yeah. Why? Why aren't we all saying this? I yeah. get it. Neither do I. It's strange. It's very strange. We have English names for everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Munchen. So good. Oh, my God. It's great. I Love think it. it's got an umlaut involved somewhere. What a delight. Jeez, we will better. continue to call it Munich, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't want to sound like wankers. <laughs> yeah. So I just went to, I was just in Munchen. Um, <laughs> I think because I was trying to bring that up like a wanker, but I don't. I didn't quite do it enough. So I just sound like I'm a genuine wanker. And did you know that uh, Munich <laughs> actually, I needed to lean in yeah. a bit Sorry, harder. So it actually took me a few minutes to work out what you were talking about because <laughs> I actually know it as Munchen. <laughs> yeah. See, he nailed it. Yeah, but it's much more natural today. Yeah, there's a level of wank that- I love to wank, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Dave, I don't know if you know what you've just admitted to Dave, there. Dave, you turned the microphones oh. on. 
So they're they're pumping the the games up as being full of peace, sport, and nothing else. Which, I mean, you could probably do this with any tragic event and look back, but it's like you really put the moz on there. It feels like okay. a little bit there. To betray the image of peace, friendliness, and openness, the organisers had deliberately light security. This was partly in response to the 1968 games in Mexico, where the government massacred hundreds of unarmed students who were protesting the games just 10 days before the opening ceremony. I did not know that. Yeah, that was a, a very big... Uh, what? How do we, how do the Olympics survive these sort of things? Yeah. How do you then four years later back up again and go, huh, well... Here we Let's go again. Let's play some sport. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see who can run fast. Yeah, wild. Well, keep that thought for this, this games as well. Both the Olympics and the country wanted to portray a completely different side. So at Munich, not a single police officer or soldier was seen inside the Olympic venues or village. They deliberately said no soldiers, no police. Instead, they were guarded by a small and unarmed force clad in light blue uniforms, the colour chosen when an opinion poll found that it was the most unpolitical of hues. Oh, yeah, the it light is a gentle blue, colour, baby yeah. blue. They wanted yeah. to be gentle. But, yeah, no police, no soldiers on site. Did they get the same crew that looked after Woodstock? The same sort of peace patrol? Oh, they could have got the peace patrol in could there. Could have got, yeah. Well, I mean, they hadn't existed yet from Woodstock 99, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they think of that? Is this some sort of archetypal peace patrol? Right, guess the, get them, send them back in time, dress them as Smurfs, you're ready to go. <laughs> the Games featured the first official Olympic mascot, Waldy the Dash Hound, designed by Otal Iker. Waldy. Waldy. That's not a name. <laughs> the dog. Uh, point of order. <laughs> That's not a name. Waldy. Objection. <laughs> The dog represented the attributes required for athletes, resistance, tenacity, and agility. Yeah, that's a dash hound right there. (laughs) And the ability to roll over. (laughs) Sit. Good boy. The marathon route for the Olympics was created to resemble Waldy. The head of the dog faced west with athletes running counterclockwise. Matt and Jess looking at a picture of it now. The belly was the main downtown street in Munich, and its rear end and tail were all in the English Garden, which is a parkland extending along the, the Isa River. That's cute. So at one stage you could say, I'm running through the dog's asshole right now. <laughs> That's at nice. At one point you could say that. <laughs> and, and I did. <laughs> and I've reached the dog's asshole, <laughs> which means only a mile to go. Because I turned left of the asshole. <laughs> I like I like that design. It's a cute dog. Uh, Archery returned to the games for the first time since 1920 with events for both men and women. Slalom canoeing was also held for the first time at the 1972 Olympics. But I thought before we get to the tragedy, there are some. these are some of the sporting highlights of the games, which have been probably rightfully so overshadowed by history. Right. But still, there were some, some triumphs and fun so stuff. So if you're a gold medalist from that Olympics, you're probably a bit like, fuck. Yeah, including one of the most famous... One's ever. 22-year-old mustachioed American swimmer Mark Spitz was one of the stars of the 72 Olympics. Spitz had brashly predicted that he would win six gold medals at the previous 1962 wow. Olympics. And before he jumped in, he pointed at the other end of the pool, <laughs> Babe Ruth style, said, I'm going to swim down there. <laughs> I'm going to swim this one out of the park. <laughs> Did you say the previous 1962? 1968, rather, yeah. if I did misspeak. It's the 1968. There you go. I don't yeah. know why I'm going there. The Mexico City Games, he said, I'm going to win six golds. Watch me. That is, that's a lot. It's a bit like, have you ever played the game 500? Where you've got to really back Ten yourself. Tricks. At the Ten tricks. Yeah, exactly. No trumps. <laughs> Mazer, fuck you. <laughs> okay, so you have played 500 with, with my dad. Well, this is that's how like he plays. Mazer, fuck you. <laughs> 
don't ever play 500 with my dad. Anyway, yeah, it feels like that. Four years out, you're going at six. Easy. Watch me. All right, sorry, no, On at, the record. So at the previous games, he said at this Olympics, I'll win six, right? Oh, okay. And whilst he did take home two gold medals for the realists, which most people, you'd be very proud of yourself. So embarrassing. He performed well below expectations in his individual races. He was third in the 100-metre freestyle, second in the 100-metre butterfly, and last in the final of the 200-metre butterfly. You These know, are- I just, I, I haven't seen the races, but I know what's going wrong. The moustache. Too much drag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huge moustache. How many, like, Olympic swimmers you see with a beard or a moustache? None. No. None. They are shaved. you got you got to get the dome. Michael Clem had it down pat. They're shaved from top to bottom. Yeah. Certainly no moustache. That drag could cost you seconds, and that's yeah. a lot. That's a long time a long in long time pool. in the pool. Yeah. yeah. Or it might get trapped in the filter and you'll drown. Oh, worst case scenario. <laughs> Why do they have that little pool spider thing on during the race? Sponsored by Gillette. Start shaving him in the pool. Sorry, he was. it was disappointing. It was embarrassing for him, to be honest, because he said he wins 61 too. Don't in, say that. I know, dude. In 1972 at the Munich Olympics, he came back with a vengeance and went on to set a world record when in eight days he won seven gold medals. Whoa. All in world record time. And did he make any... Predictions here this No, time? he kept it a bit oh, quiet so this time. Yes, okay. there, right? he? Wow. he won every event he entered, which included the 200-meter butterfly, the 4 by one freestyle relay, 200 freestyle, 100 butterfly, 4 by 200 freestyle relay, 100-meter freestyle, and the 4 by 100 medley relay. Wow. I mean, he's doing a lot of relays, which, I mean, you know, it, you're, as, you're as strong as your weakest part or whatever, <laughs> but it feels like other people are doing some of the work there too, yeah, you know? Yeah, okay. Just saying. But then he was world record breaking solo ones too. In all of them, yeah. That's so he amazing. won four individual. Fellow American swimmer Michael Phelps eventually broke this record on 2008 when he won eight gold medals in a single Olympics. Phelpsy. And what do you, if you think Phelpsy in one word, what would what would it be? Hairy. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking Schvelt or hairless. Oh. Hmm. No, the- that's not what I get. I think big old hairy boy. I don't think the man has a hair on his body. <laughs> I, th- I think Yeti. I think <laughs> the word I was going to say was stingers. Peter Phelps. Phelps, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm so, Phelps, yeah, I think Peter. Sorry we didn't really know where you were going with that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, so Spitz retired after the games aged just 22. He was like, Retiring at 22. I'm done. The dream. Spitz did. So yeah. his big prediction was when he was 18. Yeah. Oh, that, that's he nailed that. Yeah. He's absolutely nailed it. And through lucrative, because remember at the times Olympic stuff is like for non-professionals. Yes. Yeah. Through lucrative sponsorships, after he retired, he made an estimated seven million dollars in the seventies. Yeah, cornflakes packets. Yeah, he cleaned up. Yeah. He was superstar in America. And at the you're time. just done for the rest of your life. You can just travel and. Yeah, I think he's like some sort of businessman. To of this course day. he is, because he's an Olympian, and elite sports people are built differently to mm. us common folk. And he could never just enjoy that and retire and just live no. a nice life. They've Mm-mm. got to be like, well, I've got to be the best at something else. And good on you, but I don't have that in me. Let me tell you about another one. <laughs> is that one why you've, that why you've pulled why out so, of the Olympics? Yeah, I just was like, you know what? I don't care that much. Well, the but other- he's got to do something by the same token. No, retire at 22, enjoy your life. But he had no, but he, it was a volunteer sport or whatever. It's volunteer, I guess. A little, amateur? A little, amateur. I guess, I guess most sports are volunteer. Yeah, but he'd made a shit ton of cash. In the 1936 Olympics, probably there were some Germans competing against their will, maybe. Maybe. So you're saying he has to go get a job just so that he can add it to his CV, even though he's made enough money to just enjoy his life. Oh, no, well, I mean, he hasn't made enough money. That that, that $7 million was 
as a businessman. No, you know? no, no. It was as f- through sponsorships well, in the two years after retirement. What do you think the sponsorships are going to He's That's business. Being the a brand ambassador, <laughs> are you looking down your nose oh on the God. brand ambassador <laughs> Matt's position? Trying to, Matt's trying to be an influencer. <laughs> yeah, Trying. <laughs> uh, if you want me to take a photo for Instagram with your product, uh, just... Send me an email. I'd love you to stand there like a box of Omo or something. Being like, <laughs> I will do it. When I wash for my- a price. <laughs> for a price. When I wash my tidy whities. <laughs> so, the other star of the pool was Australia's own Shane Gould. Shane Gould. At the, at the age of 15, she was already feared by her opponents. Her Olympic bio writes. Because she always swam with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Again, slowing her down, but very scary. She she said it would cut through the water. (laughs) She held it above her head like a shark fin. Very intimidating person. It's easy to win when you've killed the rest of the field. (laughs) This is what her Olympic bio writes, her official bio. Shane Gould was just 15 years old when she competed in the 1972 Games. However, her reputation was already so fearsome that swimmers from the United States tried to build their own confidence by wearing T-shirts that read, All that glitters is not Gould. <laughs> Does that not just get make it so clear that she's in your heads already? Yeah, this yeah. child? She's 15 years old. <laughs> this child with a knife. That actually kind of makes it seem like you're a fan. Yeah. You're wearing merch. All that glitters is not Gould. I don't get that. Yeah, that would have pumped me up if the other yeah. if the other team were wearing things saying, I'd be like, thank you so much. All that glitters does, does not, not stew. stew. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't get it, but I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, they were right to fear. Always nice to meet a fan. (laughs) They were right to fear here because Gould won three gold medals, but all that glitters is not Gould because she also won a silver and a bronze, all in individual freestyle and medley events. She also set world records in each race she won. Wow. Even when she came second and third. Oh, no, you said each one she won. Yeah. Edit that bit out. <laughs> she is the only person, male or female, to hold every world freestyle record from 100 metres to 1,500 metres and the 200 metre individual medley world record simultaneously, which she did from the 12th of December 1971 to the 1st of September 1972. Wow. She's also the first swimmer, male or female, to win Olympic medals in five individual events in single in a single Olympic. So cop that, Spitz. Yeah, cop that, Spitzy. Why are you saying male or female? Just say swimmer. Like you're complicating it to make it less complicated, Dave. Reading out these stats from the Olympic official website. Yeah, exactly. That's who I'm talking to then. She- Pass it over. I'm going to put your computer in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> Hand it over. Come on. Over here, no, please. Good stuff on there. You what? can just say swimmer. Male or female. <laughs> you're not adding anything there. Human or not. Human or Actually, not. Actually, no. Well, to be honest, some dolphins are faster than her. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. True. But they can't do, for example, backstroke. So fuck them. Human or other primate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've got the chimps in the pool. <laughs> we got the chimps in the I pool. I don't know. I don't think Have I we could... ever put a chimp in a pool? I don't think I could beat a chimp in a pool. I am a slow swimmer. Should we go get some chimps and put them in a yeah. pool? I don't think see that, what happens. I don't think that's cruel at all. Let's I think do it's it. cool. <laughs> Throw them in and see what happens. <laughs> Look at them go. <laughs> They've invented a new stroke. What's it called? Chimp crawl. Chimp crawl. <laughs> They're not very creative with names. They named it. They're chimps. That's actually... And we interpreted that as chimp. Anyway, Dave, please do go on. Gould also retired young at the age of 16. Retired at 16? After the Olympics, she went, I'm done. Honestly, and I heard she regretted it. She's like, I I held on too long. I should have yeah. <laughs> quit on my just enjoyed my life. I was really great at 13. That is ridiculous. But you're right, Jess. Olympians aren't like normal people because... 
you've got to win something. She wasn't done winning. In the 2000s, she returned to the pool swimming Masters events for older athletes and set more world records in her own age category. By that time, she was 23. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old. Back on the seniors. (laughs) And in 2018, Gould won the fifth season of Australian Survivor, becoming the oldest winner of any Survivor franchise ever in the world. She's a badass. What a badass. And her name is Shane, which I think already is badass. I think um, part of my sort of sporting goals in my life is Masters games. Okay, yeah. And it's it's handicapped too because, like, you know, you, you put a 70-year-old and a 101-year-old in the same running race. Oh. Um, so I reckon – but imagine if you're like, all right, well, I was always an average sports person, but now I'm going to go for the Masters, even get a medal. Shane Gould is competing? <laughs> Fuck off He'd Shane Gould. so annoyed. You're like, oh, I'll come back next, next yeah. time. I'll probably live another four Shane years. Gould She'll retire Shane Gould Shane Gould's great. Fantastic. You go on Survivor and you're like, Shane Gould is oh, here for God's sake. God. Come on. And then one of the final challenges, swim to that island over there. Ugh. Fuck off, Shane. You're right. You've just gone in at the local uh, RSL Chook Lotto. <laughs> and Shane Gould oh. is here. <laughs> She's so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Just give her the meat tray. <laughs> putting down, putting down her sporting achievements to luck is very funny. I should probably win this too. She's so lucky. <laughs> she fell in the pool and she knew what to do more than anyone else. It's ridiculous. So lucky. Now the most controversial sporting moment from the games occurred during the final for the men's basketball, and it has been called the most controversial basketball game ever. I don't know. You won at my under twelve's grand final. <laughs> Sorry, the second move. <laughs> it got pretty violent. <laughs> For real? No. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Your they teammates want. on the other hand. Also, nobody would ever take me on because I grew fast and I was always much taller and much bigger than the other girls. And if they if they ran into me, they fell down, not the other way around. <laughs> That's you also- how you got the nickname Bop, isn't it? You just bopped them on the head. <laughs> bop, bop. <laughs> Bob. I thought you also played with a knife. I did play with a knife. In your teeth? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Growling. Yeah, I growled the whole time. Very unpleasant child. But, <laughs> but a beautiful. Very successful. But yeah. beautiful free throw. Beautiful free throw. You know, just Elegant layup. read the game beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a great basketball mind. So this basketball final has actually been suggested as its own topic in its own right by Dave Maraseski. Uh, thanks so much for the suggestion, Dave. It was Team USA versus the Soviet Union. And remember, this was peak Cold War. And on the Olympic basketball court, the American men had never lost, ever. Well, Every match they'd ever played. It's about time. Who we, who, who's lining up? Any any of the greats? Uh, this is still during the amateur era. I believe a lot, most of these men went on to play in the NBA, but right. at the time they're all like sort of uh, amateur college guys, very young. And since the first Olympic basketball tournament at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, the Americans had not lost a single game, winning seven consecutive medals in complete domination. Wow. Which makes sense. They invented the game. It makes I some think it was sense. a Canadian person. Oh, I mean the American continent. Yeah, right. But the Canadians don't do a great job. Is it? They don't it do a great job. Um, that Canada. Yeah, wow. But I think early days in a new sport, it makes sense. But now, you know, that it's been around for quite a while, it, it makes sense that you know a lot of other countries have overtaken America at basketball. Yeah, it would. Yeah, similar to like all the English okay. sports. 
that they invented that now Australia yeah, are better, we're better at. at it. Imagine some like, of the time. if we played America in Aussie rules football. Exactly. I don't I don't even I'm not even being cocky here. We would kick their little tushies. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> we, we would, would wipe the floor with them. With their little tushies. Mm. There's only one Tony Lockett and he doesn't play for another country. Exactly. We're bringing him out of retirement. Yeah. Plug is back. <laughs> well, I've looked it up. James Naismith, born in this is a basketball inventor, Canadian American. Okay. okay. Born like in Brendan Canada, Fraser. worked uh, in uh, America, I believe. And invented the game in 1891. <laughs> 19, 1891. Wow. In Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. America. Okay. America. America. Okay. America. Claimed. The US of A, and that A is America, Dave. Gotcha. And since that moment, they absolutely dominated. Since the 1952 tournament, the Soviet team challenged the Americans, winning silver in 52, 56, 60, 64, and bronze in 68. So they were... Hot on the heels. They're clear, like clearly the number two. Seed. Yeah, clearly second best. The Michael Chang of basketball, yeah. if you will. <laughs> Top two, baby. Top two. The Soviets were a much older and more experienced team and had not lost a single game on the way to the seventy-two I don't final. I think at the Olympics it's good to be older. <laughs> yeah, they're a masters team. Yeah. <laughs> The Soviet team were all in their mid forties to <laughs> early fifties. Um, a lot of experience. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of fake hips and knees. <laughs> oh, another blowout. Yeah. <laughs> the gold medal game began at eleven forty-five p.m. local time. Why? To accommodate a prime time broadcast in the United States. Oh Don't you my love that? The Olympics. God. Gosh, of course. It's all the, of the friendly games. Over peaceful games. Yeah, but we've also got to make sure America can watch. 11.45 p.m. Start time. No, that's way past bedtime. Why? Especially for these older geriatric yeah. Russians. Well, the Australian Open's on at the moment, the tennis, mm. and that, that seems to happen a bit sometimes. Like the the big game, the primetime game at night, sometimes they go to like 2 a.m. or yeah. something. Oh, yeah, because often it's like there's only one centre court and the main match has to wait for the you know the the match before it to finish and if that goes to five sets you're starting at 11 15 yeah it's pretty wild i kind of like that i love sport in the middle of the night for some reason i like it too especially on a hot aussie night when you're like it's too hot yeah. to sleep i'll just sit on the couch and doze and sip water watch rafa <laughs> see what he can do see medvedev yell at the crowd yeah. and the crowd yell back yeah. Tennis, what a sport. What a sport. People laugh because laugh at nothing. the ball boy uh, pretends to play a guitar. Or yeah. <laughs> oh, the ball boy's Legionnaire's hat f- flew off in the wind. Better call a halftime break because it's so funny. That's going to make the news. <laughs> so the older USSR team, I say older, I think they're like mid-20s. Oh, my God. And there's some, some people saying they're, they're pretty professional. They're playing mm. a pretty amateur team in America. But the older USSR team dominated early and got off to a hot start. With 10 minutes left, the Soviets had a 10-point lead. Whoa. The Americans, however, caught up and trailed 48 to 49. So one point with only seconds left until Doug Collins, an American, was fouled. He made two free throws to put the Americans ahead 50 to 49. This is the final score. Yeah. Up by one point. Was it, were they shorter games back then? Maybe they it are It seems shorter. like quite a low-scoring game. It is pretty pretty low. But also, this is before three-point. Right. Three okay, of were, course. were included. So, three seconds left. That's all the- I shoot. Yeah. Well, you were useless. Scoring useless two-pointers. <laughs> Still get points. So, 50 to 49. They're one in front with three seconds left. The New York Times writes, those three seconds would be re-examined for years to come. So, that means... 
that the Soviets get to inbound the ball. They get to throw the ball back in from one side, of, you know, the opposite end of their goal, hoping to somehow get it back into play and into the basket up the other end of the court before the buzzer sounds three seconds later. If they do, they will win by one point because they'll get two points. Mm-hmm. The three-point line wasn't added to the Olympics until 1988. Right. Really? Yeah. That's like, what about when was it added for oh, the NBA? Olympics, yeah. NBA, I think it was a few years earlier, but it was right. still the 80s. Wow. I didn't what, know that. And the, the rule, you're the basketball here, Bob. Yes. The, is the rule, and has it always been that the clock doesn't start until someone's taking possession? It's not like it doesn't start when it's thrown in. It's when someone, you say, I've seen a few clips recently in the NBA where someone will just be standing over the ball rolling so the clock isn't starting and the defense isn't coming up. It's kind of strange loophole thing. Oh. But is it, a, maybe it's. I mean, they're, they're going to be way more technical about it in the Olympics, of course. So I'm not 100% sure, actually. I would have, like, playing here would be, like, as soon as the ball's passed in. Right. Because, you know, like, um, three seconds, that changes a lot. That's not a lot of time to get the ball all the way down. But if if the pass, you know, is going halfway down the court and the clock doesn't start until it's caught. You're a lot closer to the goal with three seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see it sometimes in the NBA as well. They need a three-pointer to win. And the pass, will. there's, like, less than a second on the clock. The so, pass will, yeah. So the pass can, you know, be in the air for a Woo! second. Yeah. And then that's when it the goes catch into slow mo in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. But you don't know what it's. What I'm not 100% the- sure. I think the clock is supposed to start straight away, right. I believe, from, from these recounts. Because so the ball gets thrown in, but the Soviets immediately call a timeout. But to quote from the Washington Post to explain why this, this is controversial, an international amateur basketball federation, FIBA rule at the time, didn't allow for a timeout to be called after a second free throw, which is what the Americans have just done. Ah. So the Soviets had to rush the ball across the court, and as a Soviet player dribbled the ball at half court, it looked as if the Americans would win the game. But the Soviet coaches complained that a timeout they had called between Collins' free throws hadn't been granted, and as they disrupted the scorer's table, a referee stopped the action with just one second left. Because they came on to protest, and then the referee went, what's going on? Stop the clock. Whoa. <sighs> At that point, Renato William Jones, great name, the British head and co-founder of FIBA, ordered the clock reset to three seconds, despite the game being interrupted with only one second left on the clock. Ah. He said, take it again. This sounds like a mess. So he let the Soviets have a do-over with the full three seconds. They got to throw the ball back in. He said... Oh, it's too confusing. Take the ball back up there. Again from the Washington Post. So the Soviets again inbounded the ball again from under their own basket, but failed to score as time expired. It's all over! ABC commentator Frank Gifford yelled as the American players rushed the court in celebration. They think they've won a gold medal. Wow, what a finish. The United States winning their eighth consecutive gold medal. This is what Frank Gifford's yelling. The final score of 50 to the USA to 49 for the USSR flashed across the screen. Woo, they've done it. Then a more subdued Gifford came back on the mic and said, uh, now we're being told the scoreboard is not correct. Oh, no way. What? Okay, so William Jones, the head of international basketball, emerged from the stands to rule that the the Soviet team should get a third chance to inbound the ball. Wait, what? Why? Because the scoreboard operator had neglected to reset the clock and it accidentally said 50 seconds instead of three seconds. So it didn't count down from three. It counted down from 50. Wait, so that, but they didn't get the yeah, score so anyway. Like, yeah, three seconds is three seconds, right? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. So the score, the score wasn't wrong. The clock was wrong on the scoreboard. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that they were actually leading by that point. No, no, no. So they run out of time with one one point ahead, but then the guy 
from FIBA came back on and said, sorry, there's oh, been a this problem. This is starting to feel like money's on the Soviets. You so, know? This is from the New York Times. Let's, let's, let's give them one more chance. Let's give them one more go. Yeah. And America, if you could not be on the court, please, if you could all sit down. We're subbing out the Team USA for the Washington Generals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like when you're playing like, you know, Baseball or something with, at a family game, and there's like a six-year-old playing, and they get struck out. No, no, no! Give him another go. Yeah, yeah. Give him yeah, another yeah. pitch. Come to lob it up, lob it yeah. up for him. Uh, you can't go out first ball <laughs> or second Zero. ball. Oh. You can't. Oh, no, 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 no! You can't get. I think that hit the ground. <laughs> One more time. Come on, give Johnny a go. <laughs> so this time from the New York Times. There's so many articles, and especially by American publications on this. The Americans who were coached by Henry Eber were furious and threatened to leave the court. Yeah. Amid, amid the chaos, a pickpocket filched filch Coach Iber's wallet. What? And then the New York Times says in brackets, yes, someone really stole his wallet. That's how chaotic it was out there. Is that my wallet, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> but the Americans were told if they didn't get back onto the court and play, then they would be disqualified and forfeit the match. What? So they went back out. They're like, all right, well, we're guaranteed to lose if we don't go out. So we'll, we'll just have to win it again. beat them again. Yeah, yeah freaking but hell. They still only have three seconds. Three seconds. For the third time. Oh, nine seconds. The Soviets had a third inbound from Soviet player Ivan Adeshko. He was guarded by the huge six foot eleven Tom McMillan, who was there to do anything in his power from letting the ball get past. But then another controversial incident happened. <laughs> what was his nickname? Tiny Tom? <laughs> Tiny Tom, yeah, Tiny. Tom McMillan recalled, the six-foot guy himself. There was a referee pointing at my legs, and he was Romanian. He didn't speak English. Under international rules, as long as the inbounding player, who's throwing it in, can back up, you don't have to get off the line. It's his responsibility to back up if he wants more room. So Tom's right there trying to block him, throwing it in. But back to Tom. But the referee's pointing at my feet. I'm behind the line. I'm not breaking a rule. Why is he pointing at my feet? I thought he was telling me to get off the line. And the last thing I want to do is get called for a technical foul at that point. And that's why I backed off. So he takes a couple of steps backwards because this guy's yelling oh at him in Romanian. God. So he backed off, giving Adeshko space to make a perfect Hail Mary oh. pass to Soviet forward Alexander Belov. With two players guarding him, Belov jumped, then made an uncontested game-winning layup. Oh, it, wow. Yeah, time to do a layup. Yeah, so... It got thrown straight to him, and it's a great pass, incredible pass, and he's able to grab it and just go boop, boop, bang. So full court pass. Yep. Wow. Chaos ensued. Everyone rushed the court. The Soviets were declared the winners. Again, from a possibly biased Washington Post, I should say, the Americans protested, but the jury was stacked against them in another Cold War timepiece. The vote was 3-2, with judges from communist bloc nations Hungary, Poland, and Cuba voting against the American appeal and those from Italy and Puerto Rico dissenting. Jeez. So the Soviets were given the gold medal. This is Adesco, the Soviet player who made the game-winning pass later, said, It was the Cold War. Americans, out of their own natural pride and love of country, didn't want to lose and admit loss. They didn't want to lose in anything, especially basketball. The U.S. team refused to accept their silver medals, and 50 years later, the International Olympic Committee still has those medals. They've never gone and got them. Tom McMillan <laughs> said, those medals are going to be in Lausanne, Switzerland for a 1,000 years. <laughs> One player, Kenny Davis, said in 2012 that he had even added a clause to his will, barring any of his family members oh, from posthumously sick. accepting oh. it on his behalf. I love that. I love <laughs> that, that kind of bitterness. so 
petty. Yeah. Even I I know you know my great granddaughter might desperately need the money. She cannot have no, it. No, do not let her have it. Not even over my. Dead I would body. rather her starve. That is. That does sound like they were absolutely ripped off. Yeah. Based on your yeah. retelling there. Yes, I think it is seen like I say it's the most controversial basketball game. Wow. And yeah, the Americans' perfect record was, was broken. Over in Russia, they still hang on to the victory. In 2017, a film called Going Vertical was released. <laughs> <laughs> Most vertical primate, sounds like that. Was released based around the 1972 Olympic final, and it became the highest grossing modern Russian film of all time. Wow. When was this released? 2017. Holy it shit. It was huge because okay. they still it's a very proud moment for them. They yeah, beat the enough. Americans. Now, this wasn't the only setback for Team USA. World record holders Eddie Hart and Ray Robinson were equal favorites for the 100-meter sprint, having both run their Olympic trials in dead equal world record time. How hard is that? But it used to be only to one decimal place. Okay. So they both ran in like 9.8 or something like that. And they were both on the team and they're both world record holders. Wow. On August 31, along with fellow American sprinter Robert Taylor, they all qualified for the quarterfinal round to be held later that day. Walking through the Olympic Village at 4.17pm, Hart saw the 100 metres race being shown on, t- on a TV monitor in the AVC studio. It soon became shockingly clear that these were the live images of the quarterfinals the three athletes were meant to run in. And he saw his own name on the screen saying NA, not available. And he's like, that's my race. What? What? A mad dash to the Olympic Stadium in an ABC TV car resulted in two of the three, Hart and Robinson, the two favourites, arriving too late for their quarterfinals. Oh, no. And the third, Taylor, arriving only seconds before his... So that enabled him to run, but totally unprepared. Yeah. yeah. So he had to run onto the track and start running, basically. He's wearing thongs. Yeah. <laughs> he's, no, just, he's just, just, just out of the shower. Yeah. He's got a towel on. How did they miss well, it? An appeal by the United States team failed and the world record holders were eliminated for the no-show. So they're out. It turns out that their sprint coach, Stan Wright, had been given an old schedule oh, that showed kidding. the quarterfinals as not starting before 7 p.m. You've got, I mean, surely... Surely when they're a no-show, some phone calls are made, you know, even half an hour before. Yeah. Surely there's plenty of time before they realise. Surely you don't have to turn up at the exact time of your race. Surely you've got to be there for a while. Yeah. Why are they – surely you want the world record holders to be there as well. Well, And showing that it probably wasn't just their schedule. Valery Borzov from the Soviet Union, who went on to win the Olympic 100 metres title, himself almost missed his quarterfinal after he fell asleep at the stadium. His coach quickly had to wake him up and say, your race is about to start, get out there. That sounds like like the organisation of this thing was a bit messy, a little amateur hour. a little amateur. Borzov then won that and also the 200 metres and a picture featuring him winning the 200 metre heats at the 72 games, was selected for the Voyager Golden Records. Oh. Uh, Later launched into space aboard Voyager spacecraft in 1977, which I did a Patreon bonus Mm. episode on last year. Now, they had a bunch of images that show what human life is like. An image of him winning the race is one of the representations. That's so great. I don't know how an alien would interpret a still (laughs) image of someone finishing a running race. Very confusing. Hopefully not threateningly. (laughs) Yeah. The third American, Ray Robinson, won a silver medal in the 100-metre sprint, so he did make it. And his teammates that had missed out of the individual event won gold in the 4x100-metre relay. So they got a gold medal, which is nice. But coach Stan Wright absolutely copped it in the media and was a real scapegoat in America. Oh, that sucks. Really his affected fault. his life and career. Because he got given the wrong He had the details. wrong schedule, and, but Surely. He, was, he was blamed. 
Ah, oh, that sucks. Oh, that's not on him. I mean, no. I really think that's on the. The, it's the old, games, the right? The games, yeah. yeah. Seems like not just the sport is at for amateurs, so is the admin. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got no professionals working here at all. As soon as you get good, you're out. How do you schedule things? I don't know. Perfect. You're Great, hired. You're in. Oh, okay. You're my boss. No. I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> good. Don't, you're don't now the CEO. Me. Oh, God. And as for the marathon around the dog's ass, American Frank Shorter, who was born in Munich, became the first from his country in 64 years Munchen. to win. Born in Munchen. First in 64 years to win the Olympic marathon. I'm sure I'm even saying that wrong anyway. It's, it's actually Munchen. Munchen. <laughs> or something. Um, actually, Matt, I think you'll find. <laughs> I want those tweets. Do you? I'll be confused, as I always am, because we're recording this, you know, six days before it goes yeah. out. I'll have no idea what you're talking <laughs> no about. Munchen. <laughs> Munchen. What's a Munchen? But also, it'll all just be written down. Yeah. So it'll true. just look like it's not munchin, it's munchin. That's how it'll look, every yeah. single tweet. Yeah. Problem is, Matt, you're saying it like munchin, when you should be saying it like munchin. Oh. That's how it's it. going to look. Yeah, well. Yeah. Don't you know what it, the umlaut does to a U? Munchin. Uh, no, I, I don't. Yeah, it makes it moon. But it, So that's the marathon, but it was a strange finish to the race traditionally held in the last day of the Olympics. As Frank Shorter was nearing the stadium, German student Norbert Sudhaus entered the stadium wearing a track uniform, joined the race and ran the last kilometre. Thinking he was the winner, the crowd began cheering him before officials realised the hoax and he ran off. How good is that? He just ran in and everyone's like, yeah! And how good's his name as well? Yeah. Norbert Sudhaus. Oh, my God. You could put almost any surname after Norbert and it would be the best name you've ever heard. So good. What about Flintstone? Norbert Flintstone. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a winner. Try another one. Um, Rubble. Norbert Rubble. Okay. No, yeah. Okay, you're right. <laughs> Anything else? Um, I can't think of another character really from that show. <laughs> I uh, think that's Dino. It. Dino. Norbert Dino. Oh, that's good. Norbert that Dino. Good. There's probably someone called Rockwell on there or something like that. Oh, yeah. Probably. <laughs> so Norbert, Norbert Rockwell. Norbert Sudhaus. I've only just got Flintstones and Rubble. I've only just got that. 32 years old. Anyway. So, Norbert Sudhaus. He runs and he's a student. He's wearing a uniform. Everyone's like, this guy's winning. He arrived seconds before Shorter, who was actually winning the race. Understandably perplexed to see someone ahead of him and to hear the boos and catcalls meant for Sudhaus. Because they were cheering, then they realised he's a phony, so the whole stadium turned on him. Oh. But it's the same time. He really killed that guy's big moment. Yeah, yeah. He's been, he was running into people booing, going, what's going on? Oh. ABC sports commentator Eric Siegel's impassioned cry during the confusion, it's a fake, Frank, became a soundbite played repeatedly over the years. I watched the coverage. You should watch on YouTube. My favourite part is, this is an imposter. Get him off the track. This happens at Bush League marathons. This doesn't happen at the Olympic marathon. Throw the bum out. Get rid of the guy. <laughs> Get rid of the guy. <laughs> so funny. The commentator really went for it. Then the co-host says, someone, I hope his name is known for a little athlete infamy, has taken the boom of the applause that Frank should have got. And Eric Siegel responds, I hope his name is not known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the winner, Frank, later recalled, someone from the stands yelled, don't worry, Frank. I said to myself, why should I worry? I'm winning. If someone had gone by me, I would have known it. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So, yeah. Bit of fun. Okay, so those are the things that the Olympics should be famous for. Honestly, I get obsessed when I we, – we've done a few Olympic topics. Yeah. I love going through the fun little moments. I think a series going through each Olympic Games 
could be really fun because it's always Holy controversial shit. and and fun moments. New sports added. Imagine if we found though, like there's just one Olympics in there. It's really dull. Really dull. Everything- I mean, sure, people won, people lost, oh, but it was just run like clockwork. No, Atlanta, yeah. no the con- toilet. <laughs> no controversy. She would call it. Honestly, yeah. If people want that, let uh, me know. The toilet HG. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love going through the games, finding the highlights, the weird occurrences. Let me know. Hey, if Dave. You can, but I think that I, I think that sounds fantastic. But I've just found another fun fact. It looks like. Excuse me. You found what? Well, I found another fact. <laughs> I believe. So we call it Munich. <laughs> uh, Germans call it München. Bavarians, even more local, Minger. Oh, I love it. Minger. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate... Your last biscuit. That I was saving has been, them for my wedding. That has been stress. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah. it was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. So, yeah, they're the, they're the, I love going through the highs, the fun bits, basically, but not like the main part of today's topic because all that triumph and perseverance of the 1972 Munich Games has been massively overshadowed by a tragic event. And to give the background, we briefly need to talk about something that is very difficult to briefly talk about, and that is the still ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. If you guys know much about it, it's very hugely complicated. This is quite a twist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those. It's one of those things that's quite nuanced, and obviously, um, very much so. Yeah, very. It's it's hard to fully understand when you're not part of that community. Um, so I know, yeah, very little. Hey, David, is this a topic you chose or was voted on? I voted on this topic. So they've they've voted on the Palestinian Israeli conflict. No, the 1972 okay. Munich. Okay, right. But it's you, to understand to that you need to understand, to understand why it happens. And also, right. I've deliberately talked about the fun parts of the games, and this is the U-turn because that's what happened at the games. It's fun. Everyone's having a great time, and then an incident happens that just like ruins right. all, all of that. People are running out the dog's ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, We're having a great time. Exactly. People are. It's you know, it's living up to the game. Games of friendliness until the American basketball incident. team isn't accepting their yeah. silver medals. Yeah. We're having a great time. Yeah. So I'm going to try and give it a, a bit of context, but it's very difficult to talk about briefly. And like you said, just yes, very nuanced. Mm. 
Vox, if you want to look into it more, have a great series of articles that I will link to the show notes published by Zach Beecham in 2018. Beecham sums it up in one sentence. Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs both want the same land and a compromise has proven difficult to find. Okay. That that is a nice sum up. If you want to read all, there's about 24 articles. Wow. And there's like questions like, why is this? Who is Israel? Who is Palestine? You click on it and he has a great summary. And I really loved loved it. Whoa. Dave, that was great because it just made it sound like you're going to have to talk about this for a while, but you just nodded that (laughs) one sentence. Fantastic. There is a bit more. Okay. But, (laughs) you know, I've I've summed it up as quickly as possible without leaving out all the context. Mm. He continues, Israel is the world's only Jewish state located just east of the Mediterranean Sea. Palestinians, the Arab population that hails from the land Israel now controls, refer to the territory as Palestine and want to establish a state by that name on all or part of the same land. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict is over who gets what land and how it's controlled. And of course, both sides see the narrative very differently, which is also adding to the the nuance and the confusion, but as a brief contextual guide, between 1896 and 1948, hundreds of thousands of Jews resettled from Europe to what was then British-controlled Palestine, including large numbers forced out of Europe during the Holocaust. The movement to create a homeland for the Jewish people is called Zionism. According to the Virtual Jewish Library, the legitimacy of the Zionist enterprise of returning Jews to the land of Israel is based on Jewish descent from the ancient Israelites. But again from Vox, but many Arabs saw the influx of Jews as a European colonial movement and the two peoples fought bitterly. Then the British couldn't control the violence and in 1947 the United Nations voted to split the land into two countries. There was a big war in 1948 and that uprooted 700,000 Palestinians from their homes, creating a refugee crisis that is still not resolved. Palestinians call this mass eviction the Nakba, which is Arabic for catastrophe. Then there was another war in 1967 and it left Israel in control of the West Bank and Gaza Strip, two territories in the area home to large Palestinian populations. And one of the groups, we're we're getting there people, the groups fighting against this fact was the Palestinian Liberation Organization or the PLO, the political party Fatah controls the PLO. According to Vox, in the first decades after its 1964 creation, the PLO sought to destroy Israel and replace it with an entirely Palestinian state. Fatah's founder is a very famous man called Yasser Arafat, you might have heard of. Mm -hmm. He employed military tactics towards this end, including attacks on Israeli civilians. So at first it was like, huge war, we're going to kill them or get rid of them so we can have the land. But in the 80s and 90s, Arafat changed tactics and went from warfare to negotiations with Israel and eventually... He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1994. Wow. It's quite the about face. Mm. But this was decades before that. And in 1971, which we're getting close to 1972, a breakaway, that's how time works, a breakaway militant faction of the Fatah was formed called Black September, which is a pretty badass name. Mm, I do like that, actually, as a name. Yeah, it's like sca- it's pretty scary. For a yeah. boy or girl. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. Black September Jones. Ooh. Ooh. Who are you having a kid with? Jonesy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Jonesy. Jonesy. Uh, Jonesy. Duh. Uh, come on. That what now, now you've answered that. Do you that, feel silly? I feel very silly. You should feel silly. Wow. This. Uh, yeah. This is obviously all uh, very messy. It's very messy. But I'm trying to trying to sum it up quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah. To give the context before the story moves on again. But you need to know, Black September. They're named after a conflict between the PLO and the Kingdom of Jordan. There was a big incident. Okay. 
Black September were hardline militants willing to inflict great violence for their cause, and some argue that they directly got their orders from Fatah, the Palestinian political party, basically doing the party's dirty Mm. work. That's what some say. But other sources say they were a genuine radical breakaway from the more moderate Fatah operating with their own autonomy. Hmm. Like whether they're so hardline they go off and do their own thing or whether they're just doing the, the dirty work so the political party can claim we had nothing to do with that. Right. And uh, they did some pretty crazy stuff. Black September's first attack was the 1971 assassination of Jordan's prime minister. So that's sort of that. That's the background here. Palestine, in terms of the Olympics, were not invited to join the Olympics until 1996. Mm. But in 1972, Black September planned to make their mark on the Olympic world stage anyway, albeit in a very different way. Okay. Flash mob? <laughs> I wish. There's no better way of getting your word out there than having a flash mob. Am or I right? Sky riding. Those are the big two. Oh, yeah. If you can combine the two in one flash massive sky plane. riding. <laughs> Jumping out of the plane when people least expect it. Oh my god. Like you're on a seven four seven. You pull that door. <laughs> out you go. <laughs> Hold up a banner. Says, Will you marry me, Janet? Now who's Janet? <laughs> Is it Janet Jones? Oh, my God. Matt, it's like you pay no attention to my personal life. Are you dating Janet Jones? Oh, yeah, Jonesy. I don't have sorry. time to Who do you think we're talking about? <laughs> so, Palestine, they're not at the Olympics till 1996 officially, but Israel were at the 72 Games, and at 72, they sent 42 athletes. And these games had a deeper meaning for their country. To quote from The Guardian, citizens of the young Jewish state, many of them Holocaust survivors or their children, were returning to the land whose government had so recently set to wipe out their people from the earth. Holy shit. And marching with pride beneath their own flag. Fencer Dan Allen later said, taking part in the opening ceremony only 36 years after Berlin was one of the most beautiful moments in my life. We were in heaven. Oh, that's so... But when they walked in the opening ceremony, is a very uh, moving moment. Mm. Flying under the Star of David in a country that a couple of decades ago literally tried to kill... Those people. Yeah, wow. So they're at the games, they're competing. They're part of that fun part that I was talking about at the start of the game. All that all that peace. So much peace. So much mm. peace. Peace and fun and hey, it's sport. Yeah, the exact hey? the spirit that it's supposed to be done in. Let's play some sport, you guys. Have some fun. Know what I mean? Yeah. So much peace. That's a POD basically. That's how much O D and on P. P being peace. <laughs> Okay, that was confusing. Because <laughs> I was thinking he was piss, and I was, I was like, I've never seen on piss over here. <laughs> I mean, how much is too much? I'm full of piss. I found out. <laughs> like, yeah, bad grills in it over here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three litres of water, but just in case, I better drink my own piss. I better drink all of this <laughs> <Yeah>. piss. <laughs> Whose piss is it? Oh, who cares? <laughs> Part of the fun is not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty big in Australian sport, the bubbler. Or at least in Sydney sport, you know, rugby league. They love. You know, the, the bubble pop. No, do I want to know? Uh, it's where they rugby league players piss in their own mouth for fun. It's for fun. You're looking at me like it's not for fun. <laughs> it's for a bit of fun, Bob. This is why I hate to make generalisations here, but this is why groups more than four men should not be allowed to hang, oh, hang out on. at any given time. Hang on, just because we've got a different culture to you. <laughs> no. Like, couldn't help but agree. <laughs> no more than four. No more if you got four. three more men in this room right now and you left, Jess, within five minutes we would be bubbling into our own mouths <laughs> for a, fun. Honestly, it's I don't think this is a group activity. I think this is more of a solo thing. Maybe you've got one other guy there to film it. <laughs> and this is you pleading the case. I know. I mean, pissing I, into do your you, mouth. Do you recall this? So, 
I remember there was you a. You would have on the Friday for the project. Oh my yeah. God, no. There was a very graphic photo going around of an NRL player bubbling. Hey, I saw him on a. That guy, he. Remember, uh, there was this ABC or maybe SBS show about um, uh, reputation rehabilitation? No. I and he was that. on that. And it was with some of the. It was like the broad chaser sort of family of shows. Right. It was one of those. And they. He was like, you know, it was just having. It was just fun. I really didn't think it would blow up into this big thing. Now it's all he's known for. I thought people would think it was really fun and cool that I pissed yeah. in my own mouth. Blah, blah, blah. And I think he said it was maybe even a perspective trick. He wasn't really doing it. <laughs> oh Look, I'll show you now. <laughs> Please move on with this report. I hate talking about this. <laughs> okay. I wish I never knew about the bubbler. Sorry about that. <laughs> You do love Bear Grylls, though. I love he's Bear Grylls. Bear That's Grylls different. Is, he's like, it's just a slow-mo bubbler. He's just added an extra step in. Yeah, he's put in a cup. Yeah, the step is surviving. <laughs> okay, on September 4th, 1972, just over halfway through the Olympics, most of the Israeli delegation went out for a night at the theatre watching a production of Fiddler on the Roof. Piddler on the Roof. Could be another one for the <laughs> for the bubbler. <laughs> That's when you bubble on a roof. <laughs> I'm real. I'm trying everything to avoid you going on with this grim topic, I think. <laughs> well, at the time, Abu Dayud, who was a leader of the Black September organization, was briefing eight of his colleagues at a restaurant in Munich's train station about what they were about to do. Before this, at least some of the group had been completely in the dark on their missions. One of the eight militants, Jamal Al-Gashi, codenamed Samir. They all get codenames. Later recalled his reason for joining Black September. He claimed that he was born in extreme poverty in a refugee camp in Beirut and felt that joining the liberation movement and then Black September was a way of reshaping the future of his country and his people. He'd flown to Libya for a special training camp and had the feeling that he had been selected for a special operation, but he had no idea what it was. He was taken to Munich where he stayed in a hotel and even attended a couple of Olympic volleyball matches. Just having a, having a day out at the volleyball But he maintains that until at the train station, he had no idea that the target was going to be the Israeli Olympians at the Olympic Village. A little after 4am that morning, September 5th, the eight travelled to the Olympic Village via taxis. According to Time magazine, they were each given a tracksuit with the name of an Arab nation on the back to blend in in the village. Abu Dayud, the mastermind of the mission, did not join the men and the leader on the ground became Lutif Afif, codenamed Isa. I'm going to forget all these codenames. Well, he's the one you really have to remember because he's the leader. Isa. Okay. Now, remember, there are no police or army at the village, which mm. is deliberately lapsed in security. So, it wasn't, there weren't, I thought you were sort of saying no visible ones, meaning there were a lot of undercover ones, but not even. No, no, they're not allowed in. Right. There's a rule saying, wow. we'll, t- we'll take care of it with these guys in blue, yeah. these people in it's blue. It's peaceful blue. and chill and we trust exactly, you. Yeah, it's a friendly vibe. That's what they want. Yeah. The village was surrounded by a seven-foot wire fence with some barbed wire on top. But it should have been easy enough to scale. But when they started climbing, these are the eight Palestinian guides, they were interrupted by a group of drunk American athletes returning from a night out. They were also climbing the fence and breaking back into the village after hours. And rather than question the men, the Americans decided to cheerfully help them climb over the fence and into the Olympic village. Then the Palestinians also helped the Americans get back in. So they helped each other over the fence. The Americans had no idea that the sports bags being carried by the men they were helping contained assault rifles, pistols, and grenades. Ugh. How crazy would that be looking back on? Yeah, you wouldn't feel great about it. No. Probably. no. A group of passing post office workers also noticed the men, but they thought nothing of it. Because everyone's got 
Peace on the brain. Exactly. It's been a great game. It's so fun. Everyone's having a great time. This wasn't the first time in the village for some of the men. Two members of the group had already taken advantage of the lack security to visit the village and knew exactly where they were going. The address, 31 Connolly Strasse. That was the address of the building that contained the Israeli delegation over five apartments. The front door was unlocked. The terrorists forced their way into apartment one where the coaches were sleeping. Now, Israeli wrestling judge Yosef Gutfrund. That is... Okay, yep. What? No, he's I realize he's a wrestling judge or coach. No, he's a, he is a judge at the game, so mm. he judges all. You know how I had there was a Romanian basketball Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh referee before. He's yep. like that for Yeah, wrestling. yeah, yeah, gotcha. I was hoping they'd walked in, got a wrestler who went, "Mm, not no today." No way. Like that's one of the last people you want to Well, come I mean, across. you say that fantastic point because he heard scratching at the door and thought it was a teammate returning home. He's an ex-wrestler himself. That's how we got into it. Well, yeah, I would assume he'd had some experience in it or that would feel pretty hypocritical. (laughs) When the door cracked open in the darkness, he could make out the barrels of several weapons. (gasps) He was a big, strong man and he threw his six foot three, 132 kilo frame against the door and shouted out to the others, Danger, guys, terrorists. For critical seconds, Gutfrund succeeded in holding back the terrorists, allowing his roommate, weightlifting coach, Tuvia... Now we've got a weightlifter in there too? Yeah, weightlifter. They have chosen the wrong room. He was 132 kilos, you say. And six foot what? Six foot three. The man is a beast. That is a a beast. beast. And he's holding the door back with eight people with guns opening it. Let's be honest. Somebody breaks into our room. It's me going to the door, isn't it? (laughs) You're leg pressing that door. Oh, my God. You're on your back. (laughs) Legs against the door. I said, boys, you take your time. I've got this all day. (laughs) Dave and I are cuddling in the corner. (laughs) Shivering. Oh, oh, please. Please, Bob, save us. <laughs> so he, he held the door for wow. for several seconds, allowing his roommate, weightlifting coach, Tuvia Sokolovsky, to shatter a rear window and flee to safety <gasps> through a backyard garden. Save that man's life. Apparently, the force to which Gutfrund held the door back was so strong that it bent the hinges. Get fucked. He was fighting for his life. But, of course, eventually the strength of eight men pushed the door open using their guns as crowbars to... Shit. Crowbar their way in. Bending their guns and now the bullets shoot yeah. at a weird angle. <laughs> yeah. Straight back at them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Wrestling coach Moshi Weinberg was confronted by the group's leader, Issa. Weinberg picked up a nearby fruit knife, tried to fight back, but he was shot through the cheek after slashing out. What? It didn't kill him. The wounded Weinberg was then ordered by the terrorists at gunpoint to show them where the rest of the Israelis oh, were because they're in apartment oh, one. Geez. But he took them past apartment two, lying and saying there's no Israelis inside there, and he went to apartment three because apartment two contained fences and race walkers. And the he weak hoped, ones. This, yeah, the small slider ones. He hoped that the six larger wrestlers and weightlifters oh. in apartment three would stand more of a chance yeah, of resisting. But fuck, you're still throwing somebody under the bus, but what else can he do? I'm, I'm 100% on his side. And good call in, yeah. like, those little ones are useless. So yeah. It's like, okay, well, the, apartment two has all the jockeys in it. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> Don't worry about that. I guess we'll go try the wrestlers and weightlifters. Oh, yeah, apartment two's got puppies in there. We'll leave them. Yeah. <laughs> cool. but the, the biggest, yeah, the biggest dudes. He's Whoa. hoping. Sadly, they were all asleep and caught completely by surprise. They hadn't been woken up. Fuck. Otherwise, they probably would have been a much better chance because they were big dudes. But he did manage to save lives. All five residents of apartment two managed to leave the building through the garden and flee to safety because he lied and said, "Oh no, they're no, not they're- Israelis." <gasps> wow. The athletes, sadly, from apartment three, like you said, Jess, it's got to be someone, were ordered at gunpoint back to the coach's apartment in 
in apartment one. And then the already shot in the cheek Weinberg again attacked the gunman. Very brave man. Are you kidding me? Very brave. Tragically, he was shot again and he died this time. But his second heroic action and the distraction it caused allowed one of the wrestlers, Gad Sabari, to escape. He pushed one of the militant's guns out of the way and ran for a door and just sprinted through a car park. And even though he was pursued by a gunman who shot at him in the car park, he just kept running. (gasps) That was only because Weinberg had distracted them for a second, Holy sacrificing shit. his life. So he saved two <gasps> That's people. badass. He saved two With, people no, very directly and then yes, the entire one, yeah. second apartment. Yeah. And That's so, amazing. So, I mean, how do we – we just – they've sort of assumed that that was the story because he died. He wasn't yeah. able to say yeah. that he – but the story was told that he took yeah, him past that we room. Yeah, past that room. And they yeah. f- filled in the blank sort of thing. Holy shit. So this guy, Gatsabari, who ran, ran away – he ran to the Olympics press center. He just sprinted there to report what was going on. He was ignored for the first few seconds because it's like four or five in the morning until talking to a, taking a journalist aside and calmly explaining what had happened and who he was. After being escorted under police guards, Sabari found a woman that spoke Hebrew and German. And over the next five hours, he sketched on maps and just described what had happened, how he'd escaped, what kind of people, how many people were injured, and how many terrorists, all that sort of stuff, which authorities thought for a long time was four because he'd seen four people. And that's an important detail. They think there's four guys with guns. But there's... There's actually eight. Four. That's double. Yes. Hang on. Yeah, double. Yeah, double. double. That's at least double. (laughs) At least. I don't think we can be more precise than that. I don't think we could possibly. It's double recurring. (laughs) It's at least. I don't have my scientific calculator on me right now. Okay, I didn't know I had to bring that to work today. I didn't know I I needed my TI-5 or whatever it was called. (laughs) (laughs) I still have one somewhere. Really? I think so. Did you ever do the thing where you... Made it say boobs, of course. No, but made it play games or something? Some people like... Yeah, had games on it. And there was also a game you could put on it or a program you could put on it that made it look like you weren't playing a game. Oh, so how? Or that you had no um, saved things in it. Uh, it was just a program that like imitated it, the calculator. That's so awesome. But if a te- the teacher just knew that it did have one flashing um, pixel. Oh, and was it like a space invader flashing in the top right corner so- or something? <laughs> so if the teacher, oh, that's weird. If the teacher knew about it, then you were done. But yeah, that was funny. Funny memories, hey? I wasn't good at maths, so I was playing a lot of games. Yeah, there were great games in there. I can't remember any of them. <laughs> good times. Before iPhones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the best we had. Okay. If you're listening, kids, that's all we had. <laughs> so the remaining 10 hostages, so there's 10, 10 left alive, were all forced into a single bedroom. One of the weightlifters, Yosef Romano, had been unable to compete one of his lifts due to a ruptured knee tendon. He was due to fly home to Israel on the next day on oh. September 6th to have an operation. Just stuff like that breaks your heart. Oh. It all does, but yeah. those, just those chance those little moments. Those details. You, go, oh, gosh, they you are weren't supposed to be there. Just a twist of the knife, isn't it? it really but hurts. once inside the apartment, Romano attacked the intruders, slashing Afif Ahmed Hamid, codename Paolo, in the face with a, a paring knife, another fruit knife, and tried to grab his AK-47 away from him before being shot himself. Fucking, that's some badass stuff. Oh, man, they're so they're brave, brave people. Whoa. He died in the apartment <gasps> and his body was left on the floor as a warning to the others, which is ugh, so, oh, so grim. That's horrendous. So there were nine hostages left alive who were tied together, and I'll give you a little background on 
on all of them. 40-year-old Josef Gutfrund, who was the Romanian-born wrestling judge who had thrown his weight against the door, allowing at least one colleague to escape and also waking up the others, others in the apartment, or the other apartments, rather. 53-year-old shooting coach Kihat Shaw, born in Romania. Because that's the thing about uh, Israel. It's a relatively new country, so most of these people are not born in Israel. They're from the Jewish people from all over the world yeah. who've moved to it. So even in itself, the, the delegation is extremely multicultural. When, when did you say Israel was formed? Uh, the late 1940s. Right. So it was kind of was it? It was pretty much a response to the end, you know, to Nazis and all that. Yes, 1948. Right. Yeah, after the British mandate over Palestine expired, and the UN ruled there'll be two countries from now on. Mm. Sadly, it didn't last very long, but. Yeah, so, but it's a, it's a relatively new country, and most of these people, yeah, they're from all around the world. 40 year old track and field coach, Amitsur Shapir, who was born in Tel Aviv. He was the coach of Esther Roth Sharamarov, who became the first Israeli to make an Olympic final at the next Olympics oh. in the 100 meter hurdles. There's also 27 year old fencing master and coach, Andre Spitzer, also born in Romania. Is that. Was that wasn't the swimmer Spitzer? Spitz. Mark Spitz. Yes. No relation. No relation. Because of the difference. But I will talk about him again right. in relation to this story. Okay. In a minute. So, but Andre Spitzer, he's the fencing coach. His wife Anki recalled that just a few days earlier, and this is just another another Olympic story of what what it should be like at the Olympics. She recalled that he spotted members of the Lebanese team and told me he was going over to say hello to them, and I said to him, "Are you out of your mind?" They're from Lebanon. Israel was in a state of war with Lebanon at the time. Anki, he said calmly, that's exactly what the Olympics are all about. Here I can go to them. I can talk to them. I can ask them how they are. That's exactly what the Olympics are all about. So he went towards this Lebanese team and he asked them, how were your results? I'm from Israel. How'd it go? And to my amazement, I saw that the Lebanese responded and they shook hands with him and they talked to him and they asked him about his results. I'll never forget when he turned around and came back towards me with this huge smile on his face. You see, he said excitedly, this is what I was dreaming about. I knew it was going to happen. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. sweet. Very nice. He'd also, uh, the day before, before the hostage taking, he'd gone to see his daughter who was uh, in the Netherlands staying with her grandparents. And she was a baby at the time. And the couple went to go see her and spent a few days with her because I think she'd been sick. And when she was given the clean bill of health, Andre was said, you know what, you're all good to go back to join the team in Munich. But he missed the train that morning. This is the morning before. But he said to his wife, Anki, oh, well, at least I now get to spend another day with you. But she insisted he could make it. To the, you could probably make it to the next station. She drove really fast, beating the train, where he was able to board. And he'd only been back four hours because he got there at midnight or something when he was taken as a hostage. But it's one of those things, again, it's like if you could go back in time and tell him, yeah, don't get on the stay, train. Yeah, stay here. Ugh. Whoa. Awful. Yeah. Uh, 51-year-old weightlifting judge Yakov Springer was also uh, in the room. He had been born in Poland and during the Holocaust took part in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the largest single revolt by Jews during World War II. He was the only member of his immediate family that survived the war. And Munich 1972 was his fifth Olympics as a judge. What? So he'd been to a lot. Wow. He has, apart from all that, been... Pretty sick. His name's fantastic. Yakov Springer. That's very good. Rolls off the tongue. Yakov. Springer. I like a lot of these names. I really do. Yeah, they're really great. 24-year-old Latvian-born wrestler Eliza Helfen was a mechanic and had only been a citizen of Israel for seven months. He was eliminated in the third round of the lightweight freestyle wrestling. 
Freestyle. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> they put some music on. You just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> you get awarded That's points. That's what I'm imagining for freestyle. Yeah, of course. It's the same in the pool, right? I assume. Put music through, <laughs> through the water. <laughs> that is that is what freestyle means, right? They can swim any style. Yeah, but, but freestyle just, is just the fastest. Yeah. So it sort of just became. But if you're better at butterfly than other people at freestyle, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's huh. interesting. Because it, the stroke itself's called Aussie the crawl, crawl or The Crawl or something. What? Yeah. What? Isn't, isn't that right? But I think I think over time, freestyle's kind of, you know, became Freestyle is the name of it now. For it because, That's what people call it, the freestyle. Because it is the fastest way to swim. What? Yeah, but if you happen to be able to swim like a dolphin or whatever quicker, if you can, like, kick your legs You can good. technically do that at the Olympics. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's there, there's a there's a rule on that dolphin thing under the water that they have to come up a certain amount. Oh, you're of time. right. Actually, yeah. Once you die, you used to be able to. I think you used to be able to do it basically as long as you could, and then people were really starting to take the piss. You like know. up and back. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Whoa! I did not know that. That is a fun fact I just learned. The ultimate pleasure of a child is being in a, a like a you know a family pool and seeing how many laps you can do from one end to the other in one breath. Yeah. Front crawl. Front crawl. That makes sense. Also yeah. known as Australian Crawl or American Crawl. Oh, and is that where the band Aussie Yeah, I guess crawl so. Oh! Wow. There, you go. there were swimming fans all along. I'm finally <laughs> learning something on this podcast. <laughs> wow. It's only taken seven years. Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's enough. I'm done for the day. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, I'm nearly through my list here, but I did want to mention all of them. Uh, there was 18-year-old Mark Slavin who was born in Belarus and had moved to Israel just four months before the Olympic Games. The youngest Israeli Olympian competing at the Games, he was also considered the nation's most likely medal contender and was due to make his Olympic debut on the day he was taken hostage. Oh, my God. So he didn't get to compete. He was the favourite of his of his country. What was his sport again? He was another wrestler. Ah, and then there was 28-year-old weightlifter David Berger, born in God's Country, Cleveland, Ohio. What? Love Ohio. I cannot wait to get there. We're going to get there this year. Oh, I can. I don't want to jinx it. We can dream. We can dream big. I want to. I want to travel along that Golden Mile. Mm. I don't know if it's walking distance or what, but we've got to hit up <laughs> Gary, Indiana. Are you want to walk along the Golden Mile? Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. From what? And then we're going to hit up the Creamies. All the way in Vermont. In Vermont. We've got to extend the mile quite a long way. Yeah. Well, maybe if if we need to get like a scooter or something, then I guess. Right. We could, if One that, of those e-scooters or something, yeah. I guess that should be <laughs> yeah. fun. We'll split three ways. We'll get on there. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Carry I Dave like, on my back. Have we added anywhere else under the Golden Mile? I can't remember. But they're, they're some of the key ones. Yeah, that, oh. that's some of the, the must-sees. Yeah. There's a few more possibilities. Yeah. So, the, uh, this guy, David Berger, he's born in Cleveland, a psychology and MBA law degree graduate from Columbia University in 1968. Competing as a middleweight, he finished fourth in the U.S. Olympic trials, and his father, Benjamin, was once quoted as saying, I used to tell him, you may not be the best weightlifter in the world, but you're certainly the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> it is so what? good. <laughs> That's... Okay. Well, it doesn't really. Doesn't I guess that doesn't really count, Dad. Yeah, I'm no. about to go try and lift a heavy thing. Yeah. Well, you might not be able to do that, but, <laughs> but I reckon you could outthink. Yeah, him. but you went to Columbia. Yeah. Pretty good. Hey. Okay. Ask just, him to ask him a maths question when you're out there. It's just Dad not knowing how to just tell a kid I'm proud of you. Yeah. yeah. When do they do the written test? <laughs> yeah. huh? You tell me they don't. Yeah. When's the special talent bit? <laughs> yeah. 
You can do your arithmetic. Yeah. You know it's part of like 15 places. It's pretty good. <laughs> 3.14. I can do it to two places. Okay, wow. fancy man. He'd immigrated to Israel for work and won a silver medal at the 1971 Asian Weightlifting Championships, so he's very good, and achieved a long-time dream when he was chosen to represent Israel as a member of the 1972 Israel Olympic team. He was also eliminated in an early round, but still he competed. That was his dream. What a guy. And the final hostage was the 28-year-old weightlifter Zeev Friedman, who was born in Russia, then the Soviet Union. He placed 12th. And one of, which was one of the best achievements for of any Israeli athlete at the time. It's so, yeah. just a, like, yeah, talk about just being at the Olympics. That would be so surreal. Mm. How cool. Living your dream like that. Yeah, I love it. What's your dream again, Dave? It's uh, a top 10 hit, isn't it? Yeah, at uh, top 10 Aria hit. Aria charts? At the Olympics. At the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> So right. it has to be once every four years. <laughs> yeah. You've only got a two-week period to get mm. in the and top 10. And I want to perform it at the opening ceremony and then go top 10. And then go platinum. Okay. Would you accept it if it was, you know, in the New Zealand charts or the American charts or anything? That means nothing to me. Okay, it's got to be Australian <laughs> Aria charts. I reckon I'd take it, actually. You take the American charts? Oh, you think yeah. you'd take billboard? it? I'd take the hot one. Take, you know what? I've thought about it and I concede. I would accept top right. one. Exactly. I, I will not accept an Oscar, but I will take an actor award. Thank okay. you so much. <laughs> I recognise the Australian arts. Hey, well, you, you were an uh, actor nominee, which is still very surreal. We lost to some children. Hey, and their parents. And yeah. their parents who exploit the children. Hang on. Allegedly. What? <laughs> I'm covered now. I don't know anything about him. Is that true? Yeah, it's just a family that vlogs all the time. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. And our series with a set and, you know, many people working on it, nah. (laughs) Just film some kids (laughs) doing stuff. I think they should give the awards to whoever had the most people working on it. I agree. Thank you. I agree. It's nice (laughs) when we're on the same team. Well, I don't think we would have won No, me either. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Because of all of those kids. Stop filming your kids. Anyway. Do go on. You've moved on at least, Bob. Yeah, I'm fine about it. You don't say it. <laughs> I forget that that even happened, but yeah. Wild to be involved. Yeah. Wild that there is a, at basically the Australian Oscars there's a category for online series. My yeah. god, we could get it for the Oscars, that'd be great. Yeah. Is it does the Oscars work the same way in that you have to nominate yourself? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, think so. yeah. <laughs> but like through your manager, <laughs> which is what we do. Through, through, yeah, through your release people, yeah. Wow. Through Sony or something. Okay, so they're the nine uh, hostages. Issa, the leader of the eight terrorists, was also the spokesperson, wearing a white suit, a white pith helmet, large sunglasses, and black boot polish on his face as a disguise. So let's add blackface to his already list of horrific crimes. He came out the front of the apartment and calmly and coolly gave his demands whilst holding a grenade. Oh. What's a pith helmet again? So one of those no, sorry, it's, it's a piss helmet. Piss helmet. You know, like one of those like safari hats? Right. That's quite an outfit. Yeah. There's a lot going on but in But I think it's a lot outfit. softer. I've seen some people say pith helmet, other people say bucket helmet. Like bucket, bucket hat. hat. Like Weedus. He was dressed as the guy from Weedus. <laughs> Her name is Noel. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, can I just say, hit all of those notes perfectly, mate. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think you will get a top ten hit. Oh, that, well, that guy did. <laughs> one of, the, one, one of these Olympians. Name is Noel. Noel. <laughs> <laughs> 
So he's wearing this uh, this outfit as a disguise. He came out in front of the apartment and calmly and coolly gave his demands whilst holding a grenade, like I said. At about 5 a.m., he handed over a note to the police. It demanded the release of 234 Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails, plus two imprisoned German terrorists in return for their hostages' safe release. If this was not done by 12 p.m., the hostages would be executed. That's what the note says. Super long list. So many names. The negotiators really had no idea who or what they were dealing with. They only saw three terrorists at any time. They saw Issa, another guy codenamed Tony, who stood at the window, always smoking and wearing sunglasses and a cowboy hat. So they're all in different fancy dress, aren't they? Yeah, so they came in wearing those... village people. Yeah, so they came in wearing those outfits to look like athletes and then they quickly changed into these disguises. So you... So you got the safari man, guy with the safari hat. Safari hat. Or, got bucket hat, or the wet, no, the weedus guy. Yeah, the we, we've got weedus. We've got cowboy Tony, whose nickname in the media was cowboy. And then uh, another man who stood guard at the balcony door. He wasn't super dressed in any, any way remarkably. The only other clearly visible terrorist became the iconic image of the event, a man wearing a ski mask out on the balcony. Mm. I mean, you Google, uh, you know, Munich hostages, Munich massacre, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember that you image. You'll see this guy. It's very menacing because it's like a man in a balaclava. Yeah. Yep. It's been suggested that this was Khalid Jawad, a.k.a. Salah, codename of Salah, but it's still unclear which of the group it was because he had right. his face fully covered. And, and at this point, they still only think there's four of them. Four based on the interview with the guy who got and away. And they've only seen these And they've three. only seen three and they think, oh, there's probably another one inside. Yeah. But really, there's four more And inside. at this point, the, the all the eight terrorists are still alive. Yep. Because he said one of, one of them got attacked, but it was... Oh, yeah. He got hit on the nose with a knife, but it wasn't life-threatening anyway. Right. It was just a, a minor wound. Right. Yeah. On the nose. Hmm. Slashed him. The authorities were left asking a lot of questions. It even took time to work out how many hostages they had inside. They're trying to work out who was supposed to be in that building, who has since escaped, yeah. and then trying to do the maths on who's in there. It was, you know, and it was awful for the families of the Israeli athletes because it became news, but they didn't know if it was their family in there, who it was. Negotiations were handled by Bruno Merck, the Bavarian interior minister, his federal counterpart, Hans Dietrich Genscher, and Munich's chief of police, Manfred Schreiber, as well as mayor of the Olympic Village, Walter Troger. You know, you've got to get the mayor involved. Yeah, have, of course. There's not been a single name that isn't fantastic. Yeah. Oh, they're all great names, aren't they? There was also, according to The Guardian, the assistance of a female police officer who it was hoped would be a calming presence on all involved. <sighs> Sorry. I was wondering Sorry. when they were going to do that because that's the obvious move. Boys, boys. Calm down. All right, no, what are we going to do? We're going to do there's a bunch of men in there. We've got to get a woman. We've got to get a mother in there to calm <laughs> yeah, them down. We've got to mother these boys. This is much like what they did at Woodstock 99. Remember, they got them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Try to send a mum around Yeah, calm them down. <laughs> Loved that lady. Would you say I have a calming effect on you guys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm falling asleep at all times around you. <laughs> <laughs> women, we'll bore you to death. Yeah, my God. Send in the soothers. <laughs> okay, women. Shh, 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 shh. Do you know that little bum pats? Bum pats? There's nothing more comforting than a bum pat. Okay. I challenge you. I agree. A little pat on the bum? Oh, my God, nothing like it. I should add that no psychologists or trained hostage negotiators were ever consulted. Dave, they sent in a woman. Yeah. It's fine. Which, Instinct. Yeah, I think we're all psychologists <laughs> yeah. and and negotiators. I, th- I think, but it's, which is so baffling now. But I think at the time, this kind of thing hasn't happened very much. No, no, no. So there's not. 
There's no protocol. Yeah, there's no not a whole industry based around this at this point. Yeah. This is the start of the 70s. After this, there's lots and lots of plane hijackings. It becomes like the thing of the era. But at this time, no one really knows what to do. Golda Meir, the Israeli Prime Minister, was absolutely firm that under no circumstances would any deals be struck with the terrorists. There was no way any of the prisoners they wanted released would be released. She said, if we should give in, then no Israeli anywhere in the world can feel his life is safe. She's very strict. We can't can't do a deal. The German authorities offered to trade places with the athletes, and this was refused. They said, we'll give up ourselves if you let them go. Holy shit been commonly commented they did this just to avoid further Jewish bloodshed on German soil. Yeah, they were very shit. worried about that. Yeah, they but are still feeling... literally pe- putting their... Yes, they're yeah, putting yeah. on. But they're feeling particularly guilty. Yes, exactly. And fair enough. Um, but wow, that's a big... They said, well, uh, take going there, you've still got people. I'm important. I'm the mayor of the village. Wow. Let me in there. Yeah, that's... They also cool. offered an unlimited amount of money. They said, name a price, you can have it. They literally said unlimited. Because <laughs> All the money in Germany. Um, infinity dollars uh, plus one. Forty-five dollars. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> shit! This was also refused. The Black September group stayed firm and, and would make no other deals. They wanted the prisoners released or else. Wow. As the twelve p.m. deadline approached, even though Israel said they would never make a deal, the Germans lied to Issa and still said they needed more time before a decision from Jerusalem came through. They begged for more time, and Issa responded with a new threat. He said they would publicly execute one of the hostages every hour that his demands remained unmet, which sounds terrible, but before he was going to kill them all at midday, so at least. Right. But I think he's, he's trying to step up the threat. Yeah. But looking at the maths on it, come on, mate. That's not right. <laughs> Things got more and more tense, but at 11.59, with just a matter of seconds to go until the deadline, Issa agreed to an extension, the new deadline, 5 p.m. Wow. He said, you got five hours to release those prisoners or we'll start killing people. Meanwhile, the whole situation became an absolute media frenzy. This was a live terrorist event happening where the world's media was already gathered. It was the first time a terrorist incident had reached a global audience during a live broadcast because, you know, they're all there for the Olympics. There's hundreds of cameras already. They've got a media center like a few hundred meters away. So Mm. Was Bruce there? Ah, Bruce is there. Yeah, Bruce. Surely Bruce. Was Bruce active in this early, do you think? Bruce McAvaney we're talking about? I feel like Bruce has been around for centuries. Yeah, that's right. I haven't lived in a world where Bruce wasn't at every sporting event. Yeah, Bruce Bruce has always existed. Yeah. Bruce is... Bruce has always existed. Bruce is eternal. There's always been a Bruce. God, who'd be the next Bruce? That's, I mean, big shoes to fill. Massive. So he was born in 53. He's 19 years old. 19 years old. Probably, well... So I reckon he was a wunderkind. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't think he was there. I don't think he was there. Someone, I know, there probably would have been some ABC or Nine's Wide World of Sports or something there. Mm-hmm. Because about 900 million people are believed to have watched the hostage crisis live on television. Whoa. It was huge news. Wow. NPR writes at the Olympic Press Center, 11 monitors showed the ongoing athletic events, while another three were trained on the building where the Israelis were being held hostage. David Marash was a CBS radio reporter at the time, and he said in 2002, those simultaneous images flickering on those monitors struck me as the most incongruous, most inappropriate, most flat, surreal visual memory of my life. Because even though this might seem unbelievable now, despite what was going on, the International Olympic Committee refused to halt the games. Oh, wow. Athletes continued to compete. 
People protested around the world at this, calling it a ridiculous and callous decision. Mm. At 6 a.m., the outgoing, so he's on the way out anyway, president of the IOC, American man, Avery Brundage. Avery. Mm. So this is before Dick Pound's <laughs> Yeah, before tenure. That's right. This is or Avery. Rog. <laughs> this is the era of Avery Brundage. He was told of the situation. He ordered that the game should continue, and at 8.15 a.m., with two Olympians lying dead in the athletes' village, the day's scheduled event began on time. Whoa. That would feel so strange So and weird. To quote from The Guardian, Brundage spent his day exerting pressure on German officials to get the Israelis out of the village and allowed the Olympics to carry on in peace. The games, he said, must continue at all costs. Notice oh. he says, we've got to get the Israelis out, not we've got to get the terrorists out. Yeah. He's like... Just make it go away from the Olympics. I don't want it associated with the Olympics anymore. Super cold, super callous. Right. Wow. Heavily this is criticized. the IOC boss. Yep. Heavily criticized since. That's and at the time too. What was his name? Avery Brundage. So he was there. It looks like he was there from 52 to 72. Yeah. So this is his last game. Yeah. Dick Pound was never there. I don't know. What Jacques, Jacques Rogge. Jacques Rogge. Dick Pound is a very high up official though, isn't he? Was Juan Antonio Samaranch was the... The one when we were kids, nineteen eight, yeah. or when you were kids, nineteen eighty to two thousand, he was only called Sydney the best games ever. Agreed. We'll take it. Dick Pan is currently the longest serving member of the IOC. Right, and with a fantastic name. Let's <laughs> the, be honest. The all time great name, Dick Pound. <laughs> Dick Pound. I mean, Jacques Rog is so good. Very good. But Dick come on, Pound. Dick Pound. Dick. Sorry, Jacques. Sorry, Jacques. Step aside. That is so funny. Dick Pound. And did I say that uh, Bruce's first Olympics that he covered was Moscow 1980? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Close. Wow, he's been around for such a long time. Hmm. That's so long, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, he, he arrived the same year as Juan Antonio Samaranch. There you go. Well, maybe the, the American Bruce is Jim Mackay or Jim McKay. He's famously associated with the coverage of the 1972 event here. He hosted the ABC's Wide World of Sports in America. On his only day off during the Olympics, he heard what was going on and he came in to report on the ongoing hostage situation and was on air for 14 hours without a break. Whoa. Pissing in a bucket. Wild. Yeah, he must have been. Piddling on the roof. <laughs> so the IOC finally bowed to intense international pressure and the Olympic events were finally halted at 3.51pm, 10 hours after the news of the situation first reached the IOC leadership. The fact that they didn't halt the game earlier would be criticised for years afterwards. Yeah. that not that wild? And That could never happen now. There's a no. terrorist event a couple hundred metres away from where the events are being held. Yeah. It's just wild. Well, any, yeah. It was like, I mean, not at all the same scale, but uh, there was an NFL game last month when a player basically died on the field. He was resuscitated, um, but it was no one knew if he was going to survive. Luckily, he did, mm. but it wasn't known for days. And apparently the NFL commission's like, give each team five minutes to warm up and we'll get the game going again. And the guy's still... On the lying field. on the field. My God. And apparently both teams and their coaches said, nah, well, game's no way. over. Game's done. We're not playing. Far out. Yeah. It's, don't you think, like, surely. Yeah, hey, anyway. hey, hey. I'm an empath. Everybody take five take minutes. Take five. <laughs> I know that's a bit stressful. A bit, yep. bit stressful, isn't it? Five minutes. How about five? Okay. Yep. 
But I'm, I mean five. Yeah. I don't mean like... Tight five. I mean a tight five. Okay, yeah. I want you on, ready to go. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. I'm afraid I've already hit start on the timer when mm-hmm. I started this sentence, so there's only four minutes 30 left. Good luck out there. Wild. That but yeah, wild. The, just like surely the instinct still isn't, all right, well, sport is great, but yeah, nearly is, anything outranks sport. bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. no, that's right. Yeah. This is much bigger. Much, much bigger. So Mark Spitz, who had already won his seven gold medals at this point, was immediately evacuated out of the country upon hearing of the terrorist attack because he himself was Jewish and the American team worried that he could become a very high-profile victim and a target. He was the only one of the American team kicked like, That they taken rushed out? home, yeah. Cause he was Were like, there other Jewish people in there? Probably, yeah. I but they're like, so. he's our highest-profile like, right. Jewish. We can't risk this moustache. Wow. that's so They got him out of there. Yeah, okay. It's an interesting move. The Egyptian team, fearing reprisals, also packed their bags and immediately flew home. Wow. So they were like, all right, the games are over. Yeah. Well, like, you think I mean, most- it feels like nearly everyone yeah, should be. It's over. It's done. It's it's wild. so wild to look back and there's so much footage of it. Throughout most of the village, life went on pretty much as usual. The Canadian dorm, which is next to the Israelis, wasn't even evacuated. They were told they could stay and just keep living there as normal. It's re- so what? There's dudes with machine guns in the building next to you. They have grenades. They know they've got grenades. The guy's walking around with a grenade and they're like, nah, you can live there. What? It's fine. What? I, if I was on the Canadian team, I'd I'd have some strong opinions about that. It's it's so funny. It's funny you say that because I felt that same way, but then I listened to an interview with a Canadian guy. Uh, he's a reporter uh, and he's covered like every Olympic game since this, but he was an athlete at the time. And he said, at the time, we didn't feel fearful at all, just mostly because these sort of terrorist events were so out of the world to us. We yeah. couldn't even imagine what was happening in there. Yeah, and he goes, bro. I never felt fear. And he goes, looking back, I probably should have. Yes. But we didn't question it at all. We just went, oh, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It's like we, we couldn't even comprehend it. We know there's... You know, there's hand grenades and guns. Yeah, people are which, being yeah, held hostage We're aware there. what they mean, but... Our peers are fearing for their lives. Our imagination some are dead. I know, so it's just funny. It just shows that it was a different world. You yeah. know, now terrorism, we've just grown up with it and all that sort of stuff on TV and things. But I just, just for them or whatever, he just said, we just didn't really think about it, which is... And he's kind of a, you know, apologised for it. He's like, I'm yeah. sorry that I didn't really think about oh, it. Yeah, I mean... Not his fault. It should no. have been handled so much. No, exactly. So he should have been rushed to his own safety. So it was a ridiculous juxtaposition. In one building, nine athletes and Olympic staff are being held hostage at literal gunpoint. But the rest of the village people innocently sunbathed, played table tennis. They trained. They still ran around and just had a great time. So imagine sunbathing. Yeah, and there's footage of that. And like, there's footage. It pans from where like uh, the building where you can see like. Guys with machine guns, that guy in the balaclava, and then it pans over uh, like a hundred meters, and there's just athletes sunbathing, just next, you know, oh. behind a fence. So weird. It's so weird. It's so insensitive. It's so strange. Mm. Wow. It was, I guess a different world, but they just didn't really think. The German authorities did make an attempt to do something, but it's not the most solid plan. See what you think of this. They delivered food for the hostages in such large quantities that they hoped that more than one terrorist would be required to come and get the food and then they could rush them. Or if that didn't work, they hoped that the two chefs delivering the food would be allowed to drop it off because it's so much of it. And then they could at least count how many terrorists they were dealing with and the men dressed as chefs. Like, you imagine a, a chef's costume. That's what they're dressed as. They're yeah, actually, like a Muppet. Sort yeah, of. like a parody of a chef. That's what they look like. Big puffy hat. Yeah, big puffy hat. But they're actually secretly policemen. But no one was allowed in. 
And one of the terrorists came out and grabbed the food in a few trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the best plan, it. to be honest. Yeah, and just came out four times and just grabbed the food. Room service. <laughs> yeah. A plan to flood instant knockout gas through the air conditioning system was abandoned because no such gas could be found. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're like, how about that? I don't think it exists. Sounds like it was a good plan. I was thinking about it before. I'm like, they should just throw in some of that gas. Yeah. Like, they didn't have any. Okay. That's probably a good reason. It's interesting to note that the uh, calling in the army wasn't an option because West Germany's post-war constitution limited the domestic use of the army during peacetime. This is one of the post-war agreements after Germany surrendered after World War II. <sighs> they can't really do anything with their army. Feels like a little bit of an exception. I know, Might be required can, let's make here. a fucking exception. Okay, it's not. A, we're no. not. We're not using it for you know for bad. <laughs> we're using it for good. That's right. You know what okay. I mean? Can we please borrow the army for good? Mm. That's like it's a they found a loophole. Yeah, <laughs> we just want them for good. At four thirty p.m., half an hour before the next deadline, it was announced in the media that police dressed as athletes would storm the apartment at five p.m. and come in shooting. They announced this in the media. Oh no! No, that's a good idea. That's a good plan. The squad was made up of 38 volunteers who came from the police and West German border guards. Because remember, no army actually trained people. These people were in no way trained for this situation and they were not discreet. News crews from all over the world covered them from every angle, showing them walking around the building with guns whilst wearing tracksuits and helmets. They got up on... So they're trying to look like athletes, but they're holding machine guns and wearing bulletproof helmets. And if if the terrorists inside are watching the TV coverage, which you assume they are... Which you'd, you'd assume that they'd look into that, right? Yeah. Well, they got up on the roof... They got on opposite balconies and waited to hear the code word sunshine, and that's when they'd start storming. Sunshine, everyone runs in. The signal never came, and thank God for that, because after this they realised that every room in the Olympic Village had a TV, so inside the terrorists were watching their every move as news anchors commentated. How so stupid. How stupid do you have to it be? It was absolute amateur hour out there. It was so... Well, I mean, it was before the Olympics were pro, Dave. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what to I'm tell sorry, you. are you a professional negotiator? Get out. Get out of here. This, this is for amateurs only. <laughs> this is not in the Olympic spirit. Get me a woman. So it's absolute amateur hour. As is noted in the fantastic Academy Award winning documentary on this called One Day in September. Oh, my God. That's a famous... Aussie Rules song. I've had that song in my head for three weeks at this point. Yeah, right. Wounded Don't September. get in my remember. We can't get in the I don't know the words. In the show. Football's such a part of this old town. Get up. Amazingly, they don't play that song. Down. Is that? Yeah, I don't. That's funny. I, sh- I assumed I would know the words of that. <laughs> That's happened a few times lately where you've started singing and gone, wow, I really thought I'd know the words. Yeah, I thought yeah. it would just kick in. Yeah. Look, it's up there, Gazali, which is his other big footy hit, Yeah, which is a very similar song, but I'm sure I know the words of that. Oscar-winning documentary. Oh, yeah, it's called One Day in September, so I have had that song in my head. One day in September. And someone says in the documentary they interviewed about this, and they say, at the time, everyone was transfixed by the myth of utter German ruthless efficiency. And in this instance, it could not be further from the truth. Wow. No one has any idea what they're doing. That's kind of brutal, but pretty funny. That review, I mean. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Uh, Yeah, this, this is absolutely baffling. The hostage takers inside, they'd been told by the leaders that had planned this not to let the situation go on for more than 24 hours. They said, 
that's all you can handle. It's, you know, mentally taxing, I guess. After I mean, it's a long day for them too. Yeah. I doubt they're taking breaks. Yeah, no, you know, and it's a very intense situation for them and the hostage. And you can't. Naps. You're assuming that they're not. They're not expecting to leave this alive either. The well, they they were told if their demands weren't met, which you know is likely, they should demand a plane where they could take the hostages to a nearby friendly Arab country. And this is exactly what they demanded at six p.m. They realised we're not getting the prisoners released. Mm-hmm. We've got to get out of here. We should have taken the the infinity dollars. Yeah, we yeah. should have taken that money. Gosh, that, that would have been good. No ink packs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they, yeah, right. So they're they're not they're not they haven't killed anyone. Haven't killed anyone further. They killed two people in the morning yep. during the the takeover. But they are, at six p.m. they demanded uh, a plane, fueled plane, with a pilot to fly them to a friendly Arab country. The Germans agreed to the demand, but secretly they decided they would not let terrorists take anyone who was a guest in their country away. And decided this was when they would take action to either kill or arrest the militants. They were like, the Israelis are here as guests of ours. We cannot let them be taken out. Out of the country. Mm. I say that to Uber drivers trying to pick people up from my house. Yeah. I'm like, they are a guest of mine. Yeah. I will not let them leave. I'm afraid I can't no. let that happen. And they're like, no, Jess, I called the Uber. Mm. And I'm like, uh, 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 don't mm. you try and cover for him. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to. I've got your back. You're safe here, mm. I say. As you lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, that's not. I'd like to go to my house. No, no, no. No, no, no. You're touching their lips. I pat him on the bum. Some have argued that the Germans' main objective was to get the hostages away from the village to allow the Olympics to continue <laughs> and that the safety of the Israeli hostages was secondary. Wow. That's commentators. Some people have said that. Right. But let me tell you the plan. The plan was to have helicopters take them to... Fustenfeldbruck Air Base, where a Boeing 747 plane would be left on the runway with its engines idling and a crew on board. They tell the terrorists that they could fly them to a friendly nearby nation. Really, the 12 crew waiting in the plane wearing Lufthansa uniforms would actually be armed police who had all volunteered for the job. In addition, four snipers were placed on the control tower and another on the ground on the other side of the tarmac. So they had five snipers for what they believed were four of maximum five terrorists, one for each. Right. When Issa and his deputy went to inspect the plane, the fake crew of police would overcome them and then the snipers would quickly take out the other two terrorists. Remember, they think there's only four. So they, they didn't think just in case. Let's have a few more. Yeah, a few. No, they went four or five should be right. And then armoured assault vehicles would rush in to shield and then rescue the hostages. Doesn't sound like too bad of a plan, right? Well, prepared to be more annoyed than you've ever been in your entire life. Oh, God. So the hostages and their captors were taken to the two helicopters on a bus and then they were flown to the airfield. The hostages had their hands tied and then they were tied together in the helicopters, making it impossible for them to make a break for it and run away. As they left the bus and walked onto the helicopters, a critical bit of information was revealed. There wasn't four or max five terrorists, as they thought all day. In fact, there was eight. All heavily armed. That is a lot of terrorists. It's a lot. But they've realised this as they've gotten on the bus. Yeah, so, they've known ahead of time. Yeah, so plenty of time. add a few extra snipers and whatnot. Yeah, which if, if your plan is to take them out, that you know, before they can hurt hostages, is it's a critical piece of information. Did they pass that on to the five snipers? No, they did not. Uh. No one from the village thought to tell them. And it would have been hard anyway because the snipers didn't even have radios or walkie-talkies to talk to a commander or to talk to each other and coordinate with who they were aiming for. Oh, my God. 
Just as the helicopters began to land, the police officers undercover as the flight crew decided that their mission was too dangerous and took a vote to abandon the plane. They worried they were underprepared, undertrained and unpersuasively disguised, having been issued incomplete Lufthansa uniforms. They fled just seconds before the helicopters landed, which I understand why you'd think we're sitting ducks in here. Yeah. The guy could just throw a grenade and we're all going to die. But it's way too late to change the plan. Yeah. As the helicopters land, they all go, no, nah, nah. and they leave the place. So now it's an empty plane. Oh, my God. So now it's all down to the snipers. Now, I say snipers, but they were not, in fact, trained snipers. Oh. Because the army wasn't allowed to get involved and use their expert snipers, they had to use police officers who happened to have an interest in competitive shooting. An interest. Yes. I've played Big Buck Hunter. Yeah, honestly, they got guys that go hunting on the weekend a bit. That's not the same thing. It is not the same thing. And they didn't have proper equipment either. Instead, forced to use rifles, totally unsuitable for the purpose of targeted and focused shooting. And they couldn't communicate with each other because they've got no radios and they weren't given specific targets each. They were just told when the first person opens fire, everyone just starts shooting. Usually you'd go, I'll take the leader, you take this person. Yeah, you'd be able to communicate with each other at, l- at the very yeah, least. Yeah, but it's just, fr- it's like Big Buck Hunter, basically. Just have a go. They should be talking into their wrists. Mm, yes. You know, that's Pulling up stuff. to the ear, pushing it in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Delta, go for. Stuff like that. Stuff like that. Go ahead, Delta. Go for Delta. <laughs> Goodrum. <laughs> Delta, what are you doing here? I'm very good at Big Buck Hunter. <laughs> yeah, she's a national champ. Get her in. <laughs> we got to get Delta. Behind this innocent eyes are some... <laughs> she's seen some things. So there's four... I was born to try. You were born to die. <laughs> what a line. That's a good line from Delta. <laughs> so there's four snipers on the control tower and one lying on the ground. But then to add to their woes, the helicopters landed in the wrong spots. What? This left the ground-based sniper not only useless, but actually in the firing line of the other four. Oh, my God. So he he had to take cover to avoid being shot himself because none of them had been supplied with bulletproof vest or steel helmets to protect their heads. And because the helicopters are in the wrong... Where the terrorists get out now, he's going to be shot at if he doesn't just lie down and try not to get hit. So now you have four shitty snipers trying to take care of eight heavily armed terrorists. That's two each. The one, the one who lay down, he was also the best shooter, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Yeah, oh, no, a lead guy. Issa and another terrorist left the helicopter to inspect the plane, but found it deserted. They yelled back to the rest of the men in the helicopters of the betrayal. They're like, there's no pilot here. It's a setup. And suddenly the airport was lit up by floodlights and the snipers began shooting. <gasps> well, a few of them did. The guy on the ground was in the wrong spot, didn't fire a single shot, and another of the snipers was moving positions at the crucial time it all started, so he missed his shot on Issa the leader, who made it back to the cover of the helicopters unscathed. So they had a chance to take him out, missed it. He's like, I'm just a bit uncomfy. Rest on my... <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just going to move, oh. change positions. Pins and needles. Yeah. <laughs> the second sniper seriously wounded Issa's deputy, but the rest of Black September started firing back heavily. One of the snipers then shot and killed a terrorist. So they were just they were just thirty yards or twenty seven meters away from their targets, and they only hit two. Oh, I didn't realize how close they are. Yeah, it's quite close. Wow. And they're up on an elevated position, but yeah, they just you know you know I can't really hold it against the guys. They're not trained for this situation. No, no, no. They shouldn't be in this situation. But they the just whole didn't have anyone else. Thing is just oh, shambles. Absolute chamoz. 
So two taken out, six still shooting. A German policeman was killed standing near the tower when a stray bullet struck him. He's just standing near the tower. Yeah. Sure. The Israeli hostages were all tied together in the helicopters and had to sit there like sitting ducks whilst the firefight broke around them. Remember the armoured vehicles that were supposed to rush in to protect them? Well, it turns out the police had forgotten to order them. And it was only 20 minutes after the shooting began that they radioed back to Munich for them to be sent. And Munich is already 30 kilometres away. But to make it worse, when German locals heard about the events, because it's a huge news story, thousands got into their cars to have a look at what was going on. To have a look. So wild, isn't it? Just insane to me. But so many people did this that they completely clogged the roads and the armoured rescue vehicles and other police and rescue trucks were stuck in traffic and couldn't get close to the airport. It took another hour for the rescue vehicles to get there. One hour and 20 minutes after the shooting started, by this time most of the fighting was over. Realising it's a disaster, someone went to the top of the building and tried to negotiate with a terrorist through a speaker system, speaking to them in Arabic, but they replied by opening fire on the building. So they were like, you've screwed us over. You know, Why will we trust you Yeah, now? we're not going to trust you. Time magazine writes that a police, quote, special unit helicoptered in about an hour after the shooting began, for some reason landed at the far end of the airfield, nearly two kilometres from the action, and was never deployed. So wild. After over an hour of fighting, one of the terrorists tried to make a break for it and ended up running towards the fifth sniper, the guy lying on the tarmac that's done nothing. The sniper then fired his only shot to the night, point blank into that man's face. Okay, so he probably was the best shot. Yeah, got him. But then some police who had just arrived on the scene had no idea of the the sniper's positions because no one's been told about any of this, mistook sniper number five and the helicopter pilot lying beside him who'd taken cover as terrorists and opened fire on them, seriously wounding both men. Are you fucking kidding me? So, yeah, they were able to shoot someone, their own guys. Oh, my God. So the plan had gone so horribly wrong. Nothing went right. You're right. This is so frustrating. so upsetting, isn't it? So frustrating. But despite this, at midnight, a German spokesperson addressed the media and said, quote, all the Israelis have been saved and all the terrorists are dead. And the police action was described as a success, which was not at all true at that stage. Right. Just issued a false statement. Yeah. Either miscommunication or they've got no idea what's going on. They're bluffing. I don't know why, but they just release false information. No one had been saved and only a few terrorists were dead at that point. And tragically, this gave false hope to the hostages' loved ones at home who were desperate for any news. And newspapers were immediately printed, especially across Israel, saying, all saved. What? All saved. Because that's what they heard. Why would they do that? Because the German official came out and said that. I don't know. No, but like, why would the German official? I don't know. Then over the next few hours, new information kept coming to light from the Olympics saying, we're afraid the information we've given so far is too optimistic. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse over every hour. Tragically, it did not end anything like that early report. After almost two hours of fighting, one of the Palestinian terrorists threw a hand grenade into one of the helicopters, which was full of fuel and exploded, and all four Israelis on board died. So he just went, fuck this, and killed all the guys. Awful. At the same time, one of the other terrorists unloaded a full clip from his machine gun into the other helicopter, callously murdering the five men inside. So all of the hostages were killed. Oh, my God. As were all but three of the terrorists, leaving three who were arrested, Muhammad Safadi, Adnan Al-Gashi, and Jamal Al-Gashi. But it was a fucking schmozzle. The incompetence is astounding. But the truth is they just were not ready for anything like this. Of course. Reporter Jim McKay, who I mentioned earlier, he delivered a famous line about the event when relaying the, the final truth, the shocking news. He said... 
When I was a kid, my father used to say, our greatest hopes and our worst fears are seldom realized. Our worst fears have been realized tonight. They've now said there are 11 hostages, two were killed in their rooms yesterday morning, nine were killed at the airport tonight. They're all gone. Oh, my God. Awful. So that's how it ended. A ceremony was held at the Olympic Stadium that morning, called by the IOC to demonstrate the Olympic ideal is stronger than terror and violence. It was attended by 80,000 spectators and 3,000 athletes. And soon afterwards, again, controversially, competition continued. They just did the rest of the games. (sighs) Bloody hell. Surely today it's just games over, right? Well, yeah. You'd think surely. You'd hope so. How do you keep going? How do you keep going? I mean, it's very tricky. Some people would say, hey, we can't let you stop yeah. the Olympics, the, the terrorists, terrorists win. win. Yeah. But yeah, how do you keep doing sport after that? I don't know. The remaining Israel Olympians were sent home on an order by Prime Minister Mir, and they withdrew from the rest of the games and flew home with their dead. They were all buried in Israel, except for the US-born David Berger, whose body was returned to the United States on an Air Force jet personally ordered by President Nixon. Berger is buried at the Mayfield Cemetery in his hometown of Cleveland. The German government allowed the bodies of the dead terrorists to be flown to Libya, where they were welcomed by thousands and buried as heroes. So, yeah, they had a very different perspective on the events, but pretty awful stuff. There were instant changes for the Olympics and governments around the world. Germany, which before this point had no specialist anti-terror unit, almost immediately created one called the GSG-9 police unit. France, Britain and the US followed with similar forces as part of their police or military. So before the... This stuff just didn't really happen. Yeah. At the next Olympics in 1976 in Montreal, they spent 50 times more on security than Munich had spent. And that has only increased over the years. China spent an estimated $6.5 billion on security alone for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Wow. Whoa. In 1984 at the LA Olympics, four sharpshooters were posted on the four corners of a building opposite the pool and snipers were just scanning through their sites the whole time, 24-7. The Olympics. Oh, wow. that is uh, scary. Yeah, but it just, just became... A, a- just a person, little flick of the finger and... Yeah. <sighs> wild. It's one of those things, though, where it's like, uh, you know, one of those events where the innocents died that day. Yeah. For 40 years, Anki Spitzer, who is widow of Andre Spitzer, the fencing coach, she petitioned the Olympics to acknowledge the murdered Israelis at subsequent Olympics, pushing for a minute silence. This became a worldwide campaign for London 2012, 40 years after the massacre. What? They didn't do anything the next Olympics? And even in 2012, the IOC refused. Why? Anki Spitzer was quoted in The Guardian at the time saying, The IOC says it's not in the protocol of the opening ceremony to have a commemoration. Well, my husband coming home in a coffin was not in protocol either. This was the blackest page in Olympic history. These 11 athletes were part of the Olympic family. They were not accidental tourists. They should be remembered as part of the Olympic framework. But Jacques Rogg, you mentioned before, the IOC president said it would be inappropriate. Although the opening ceremony included a memoriam for the victims of the London bombings from 2005. I don't... Sure. I don't understand why. Surely that would be the thing you do at the very next Olympics. Of course. Yeah. Apparently, part of the fight against it was the fear of how other Middle Eastern nations would respond. Jesus Christ. In 1976, when they first pushed for acknowledgement, Anki Spitzer says, they told us very clearly there are 21 Arab delegations that will leave if we say something about the Israeli athletes. So I said, let them leave if they can't understand what the Olympics are all about. A connection between people through sport. 
which, you know, I'm like, all right, I agree with that. On the 3rd of July 2016, just two days prior to the start of the 2016 Summer Olympics, the International Olympic Committee officially honoured the Israelis killed for the first time. And in the 2020 Summer Olympics, which is in 2021, a moment of silence was observed in the opening ceremony a year before its 50th anniversary, and all of the victims were finally named. This was the first time in history this happened in the opening ceremony, but it took 50, 50 years. years. What, what? Why did they change their minds? Was it just a, a new IOC boss? Oh, I think it's just pressure is built over time. It's like, come on, we have to do this. Oh, Very my strange. God. Time, I, I can't, I, basically, each time a new Olympics would come around, the a petition would start again and just got more and more and more. Yeah. Wow. It just feels, uh, I don't I might be being naive, but it feels like I don't think any – surely other nations wouldn't be like – wouldn't agree that those people, athletes didn't deserve to die. No. Well, you'd think that. But, yeah, and like she said, it's just against the, the Olympic spirit. Mm. Come on. Obviously, like you say, I mean, the whole thing is very complex, but I don't think there's anything complex about killing people in cold blood. Yeah. For – at an Olympic Games. Yeah. Or, you know, anywhere, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was at the Olympics, so surely the next Olympics, yeah. you commemorate them because it yeah. happened at the Olympics. Well, what about the three black September terrorists that survived and were arrested on the day? You think they'd go to jail forever, right? Well, their story was really only just beginning. That's right. This is an epic two-part oh episode. Oh, I could keep talking, but it would be here forever. So instead, we'll split into two. Two Whoa. forevers. We'll be here for good. On next week's episode, there will be more hijackings, spies, bombings, murder squads, and more, all part of Israel's two-decade quest for vengeance. That's next week on Do Go On when we talk about Operation Wrath of God. Holy oh, shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, just, it was just an epic topic. I didn't realize when I first started writing, but I was like, this has got to be in two parts. Wow. Okay. Well, let's strap in for next, <laughs> yeah, next week then. Get ready. Whew. Could we could we have a little break though? Because that was a lot to take in. That was a lot. <laughs> well, that brings us to everyone's favorite section of the show where we get to thank some of our fantastic supporters uh, who are on board via patreon.com slash pod. There's a bunch of different levels, all sorts of different rewards you can get, including bonus episodes. You can vote for topics like uh, many of our supporters voted on this topic today. Uh, you also get to, if you are in the Sydney Schoenberg level, get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question in a section that I like to call fact, quote, or question. And it has a jingle, I think, that goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ding. Hmm. He always remembers the ding. And she always remembers the thing. And uh, the way this works is, if you are on the Sydney Schoenberg level, you get to give us a fact, quote, or a question, or a brag, or a suggestion, really, whatever you like. You also get to give yourself a title, and I'll read four out each week. Well, you say you're in for it, but I feel like your voice is suffering a little bit this week. You've, you've are you are you up for taking over? That would, would, be would you fantastic. mind if I did uh, sub in here? I also have not read these before. I read these out as you never do. Oh, that was a confusing sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I also have not read these as you have not read these, but as but do be do. Jess has read these. <laughs> I've read these. So, um, if you don't mind, Matt, I'd love you to take over. My throat is feeling shredded. Like, really fit. So, yeah, yeah, you've been uh, lifting weights with your tonsils. Doing throaties. <laughs> Some of that is. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, cab off the rank in our fact quota question, I would like to say hello to Paul Meller, a.k.a. Old Man from Oldham. Oh. We met 
Paul. I think we've met Paul a few times, but uh, on our recent trip to the UK, Dave. It was great to see you there, Paul. Uh, he gave me a, an Oldham hat. And a, a few, we got Oldham uh, Christmas tree decorations as well. Yeah. From his beloved Oldham football club. Go Oldham. He's also jumped on board the Saints. He's a Saints man. Oh, he, likes, he watches games from England. He likes double the punishment, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Back a winner, Paul. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Paul, who's given us a question this week. So, again, have not read this, so let's let's put the glasses on here, Dave. Let's have a go. <laughs> so, 2023 is the year I turn 50. Jeez, he looks good. Jeez, Paul, bloody hell. Jeez, I would have taken a decade at least off you, mate. Well done. 2023 is the year I turn 50, and my wife and daughter have asked what I want to do to celebrate. I.e., is there anything on my bucket list? Sounds like they're preparing for my death. (laughs) Anyway, I'm toying with the idea of a trip to Australia. We have never been, and it sounds awesome. So my question to you is, what convincing reasons can I give them to win them over? One reason I was going to give was I wanted to see the Saints play live. But I'm not 100% convinced they'll want us to do this. Thanks for all the great podcasts and all the best for 2023. Cheers, Paul. Paul, if you come over for your 50th, I will go to the game with you for sure. Let us know. That sounds awesome. I don't, apart from that, Melbourne is pretty quiet. I'd go see a crocodile somewhere up in uh, Northern Territory. Yeah, go see a crocodile. You know, if you're coming to Australia, like Melbourne and Sydney and stuff are pretty much just cities like most. Yeah, but if you come in a, a sunnier time, that, that could be appealing to an English family. Oh, yeah, potentially. I mean, Sydney's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. So is Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne's you know, yeah, we just beautiful live in its here. own way. You know when you go to a new city and, you, like, the things that you find interesting are that, like, their crosswalks have a funny sound oh, or whatever, yeah. you know? like it'll Yes. Be, I'm sure we've got some stuff here that you're like, huh, that's cute. Shelbyville's got, you know, yellow fire hydrants. Yeah, exactly. Sort of you could go see some koalas. Oh, yeah. You know? I've never seen one in the wild. Haven't you? No. Oh, you've never lived. Oh, you must. I've seen most of them. I've seen a wombat. Mm-hmm. I've seen an echidna, Sorry. seen a platypus. Most recent wombat I saw was dead on the road. Made me real sad. Oh, I love a wombat. But yeah, but you should see the other guy. <laughs> yeah, that car is mangled. <laughs> we can put it at the top of the list. Great wildlife. There's cool stuff, especially overseas people find it fascinating. Yeah. Love it. We've got great animals, pretty good weather. Great scenery. Great drive scenery. Drive the Great Ocean Road. There's, I think feel like there's something for everyone. Like if you're going to go over to Perth, beautiful beaches 24-7. You go to Queensland, beautiful beaches 24-7 in a different way, more of a tropical. Yeah, you got yeah. the rainforest and stuff yeah, up there. Yeah, rainforest up there, the Great Barrier Reef, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. See it before it's bleached. Exactly. You go to Darwin, you know, just it just feels like a, it's an entirely different place. Yeah. The weather and everything feels uh, very different. Uh, yeah, come to go see footy, go see the Saints in Melbourne. Yeah, come that's the an experience. Comedy at the MCG, festival time that's great. as well, maybe, is a good time to come to Melbourne. Yeah, Although the actually, weather isn't that nice there. No, but it's not, it, it depends. It can be all right. Yeah, comedy festival is a great time to be in Melbourne. Yeah, there's always, I feel like there's always something to do, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've sold that very could well. You could get a job. Paul. Yeah, you could Then you definitely have something to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try a pie, Paul. We, we can give you the uh, stupid old tour. Uh, there's the studio. It's very short. It's a short, <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, then we'll kick the footy in the car park. <laughs> it's a very small car park. It's a small we'll car park. We'll have to go out into the street. Yeah. The stupid old tour does cost $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, I really hope you can come over with the fam. It'll be great. Next up, I'd like to say hello to Peter Atkin, a.k.a. Chief Minister for Being Stressed When Trying to Give Oneself a Title for an Australian Podcast. Oh, I can imagine that would be stressful. Mm. 
Got another question here from Peter. Hey guys, I'm typing this on the 1st of January, so Happy New Year to you guys. On that note, my question is, what are your New Year's resolutions? And as we always ask, Peter has answered the question for himself here. What's Peter's? To answer for myself, I normally don't bother because it feels pointless, but I've been accused of being a miserable ass. so this year (laughs) I've come up with a challenge to watch 100 movies and read 25 books in 2023. Hopefully this can help me spend my downtime more enjoyable than doom-scrolling social media. Thanks for an amazing 2022 podcast. And Peter, I'm with you. My resolution, less time on social media. That's a great one. Yeah, I've deleted all the apps off my phone. For someone who wants to spend less time on social media, you're very bad at social media. (laughs) Am I? Yeah. When am I bad? You're always like, what's TikTok? I don't know what this is. How do I see my messages on Instagram? I mean, these trillion dollar apps, they're always designed (laughs) so badly. (laughs) It's like a supermarket. They put the milk at the back. It's the same with apps. Oh, when you get to the DMs, you got to go through the freaking reels. That's That's right. right. (laughs) you got to go through the reels. 100 (laughs) movies and 25 books. That's a good effort. Mm. That's some really consistent movie watching and reading, you know? That's, that's so many. Isn't I think that's a great. That's a great that's idea. Two movies to, a week. You're still you're still getting your downtime, bit of mindless stuff, but yeah, love that. That's a great. Goal. I would not be able to do it, but I love the idea. Mm. My other one was I sign up for French lessons. Okay, which I have done. I don't have to do the lessons, but I've now signed up for them. That's oh, good. So starting you've in a, it off. Yeah, starting in a couple of weeks, like an in person class. In person class. Great. Yeah. Absolute base introductory of level. Of course. Yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Why not? Ten lessons. First step, uh, laughing in French. Have a go. Oh, oh my God. He's going to be top of the class. I'm so proud of you already. (laughs) That's great. That's a good goal. So, yeah, something. How about you guys? Anything? I want to get get flexible. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm very inflexible, you know, physically. I Mm. I mean, you know, socially and. Morally, very. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, I just want to. I want to be able to, you know, be a bit more loosey goosey. Maybe take up yoga or something. Calisthenics is that something? Yeah, that's a thing. I probably won't be taking that up. No, I don't think you just want to do. I just want to take up stretching, basically. Yeah, do it. I mean, I stretch every night before bed, as you guys know, and I can now touch my toes, and I love it. That's clever. Yeah, I can nearly touch my knees. When I'm sitting down. If you keep doing every night before bed, honestly, in a year's time, and you wake up feeling a bit better too, my legs just get sore otherwise. Can I get you two to hold me accountable to this? No. (laughs) Stretch you every night. Can I get you to, Dave, to help keep me accountable to this? Or trying to touch my toes by the end of the year. Okay. You got to go, how are you going with this? You got to do it. And if not, I'll put you on the rack and make you do it. Yeah, great. And it'll hurt. Do you need him to message you every night? No, no. Just that's a check, check in. Check in every night. Okay. So, I can night, do that as well. Check night. in towards the end of the year. What about night, Dave? Toes touched. Love, Matt. <laughs> <Yeah>. Every night. <laughs> every night. Is that too much to ask? Well, it, it won't be that for quite a few months, I don't think. It'll be knees touched. touched. Yeah. <laughs> knees touched. Yeah, that's great. Anything, Jess, for you? Uh, nothing like uh, yours are good. Mine are just like, you know, move a bit more consistently and actually have days off. That's my goal. Love it. Have days off. You failed today, but tomorrow is hey. another day. No, it's back to work tomorrow, <laughs> but that's okay. Hey, there's always a day after that. Yeah. Which you're working. It's working. <laughs> but then there's Monday. Monday's going to be a day off. Ooh. Monday. That's your Saturday. It is my Saturday. Peter, I hope you've started watching movies. You don't want to get to December 31st and you're like, I have to watch 97 <laughs> movies today. 
but yeah, that that idea, I like that idea. I want to I want to read some books, and I'm reading a book at the moment, and I want to, you know, I'll always watch some movies, but yeah, way I just want to do way less of the doom scrolling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just not good for me. Spend so much, I spend too much time on TikTok. Less of that. Less of that. Less of that. I would also like to uh, say hello to Susie Darrow from Sacramento. Ooh. Great name. Ah, the capital mm. of California where the kings reign. Correct. Susie, Sacramento. An existing NBA team. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We acknowledge you. Susie Darrow, giving themselves the title of official dog breed identifier. Oh, I like That's a skill. Was it in this episode that you talked about the... Dash Hound? Yes. It was. Because there, because there's some people call it a Dachshund as well, don't they? That's right. Or a sausage yeah. dog? Yeah. It's all the same dog? Mm. Is that right? There's that only one. My mind there's only one like in the world. Probably on this. <laughs> Three names, one dog. <laughs> I see it at the park all the time. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, Ben Russell owns it. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of questions this week. This one question is from Susie. Hi, I love the show. I sent one in a while back that you read out about Matt's laugh, and I really love listening to it. My question is, do any of you three have a non-Australian podcast that you enjoy? I'll give you an answer as is customary. I love Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet. It's an American podcast where two siblings dramatically read ridiculous one-star reviews. It's hilarious and a good distraction, just like your show. Oh, thanks that in sounds advance. Great, lots of love, Susie. Oh, I'm pretty sure my sister-in-law loves this show. That sounds so good. She's read me out a few of the reviews. They are very that funny. That sounds so funny. That I love sounds that a lot. That sounds really, really good. Do you guys have? I'm uh, scrolling through. There's nearly all of them are Australian, but uh, I've been listening to Nana's Nation podcast, the 49ers. Oh, yeah. Fan podcast. Oh, cool. They do multiple episodes a week. And also, uh, Comedians Comedian podcast with Stuart Goldsmith, I listen to on and off, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's just a, like a long yeah. form chat with a stand up comedian each week. Conan, I come in and out of. I'm the same with Conan. I think it's usually if I, if, you know, I know the guest, which probably shouldn't be. I'm probably not the best way to consume it. Yeah, I'm in and out of all of these, to be honest. I, I don't, I'm not, for some reason, I've. I think it's because I'm reading a book at the moment. I'm is when I would normally be listening to podcasts at night. Yeah, yeah. Or and I haven't been running as much as I used to. That's another thing I want to do. A bit more exercise this year. It's pretty stock standard. Yeah. I like uh, Adam Buxton's podcast where he interviews people. It's goes for a ramble. Goes yeah, for a day. ramble. I, I, yeah, I got into dog. a. I'll listen to a bunch of that not too long ago. I, I mean, I love the Alan Partridge podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Some of the uh, best. From the Alst House. From the Alst House. house. And uh, still loving Hardcore History. New one's gone out. I mean, they only go out maybe two episodes a year. Or in 2022, it looks like one episode went out. Wow. Because you put so much research in. Right. But a new one came out this week. How uh, long are the episodes? The one that came out this week is five hours, 11 minutes. What the f- So he basically writes wow. an audio book and then reads the audio book. Or, you know, riffs an audio book. And it's interesting that he, yeah, he could just make that a season of- yeah. Five or six episodes. But yeah, he chooses just to do it. Yeah. One More than one hit. The long form suits him, I guess. The first time I listened to it, I was in staying at my friend's place outside of Paris. And I'm like, I was jet lagged, couldn't quite get back in sync. And I'm like, I'm going to listen to this long history podcast. This will get me to sleep. <laughs> and the sun came up and I'm still listening to it. You're still gripped. Yeah, I'm gripped, but I'm also annoyed at yeah. myself that I, because he tells the story so vividly and. Um, yeah, I haven't wow. listened to that in ages, but it's a great podcast, but yeah. 
So love it. Jess, anything from you? Obviously, I, stuff. No, I tend to. Um, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going through an audio books phase at the moment, so I'm not listening to as many podcasts. And I tend to listen to podcasts on like road trips, and I haven't been on any for a little while. So there's stuff that I've listened to ages ago. Like I loved S Town, and um, I like those kind of story, and and the kind of oh, I don't know. Like it's not. Um, it's not. Uh, overseas, it is an Australian one, but like the stuff like um, Finding Drago and that kind of yeah, yep. investigative, the stuff that's really gripping. You I love, love those. the Ape Titty Slide saga. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, big fan of Ape Titty Slide, but it is Australian, so I couldn't mention no, it on true. this one. Um, <laughs> but I like the idea of those uh, those one-star reviews. That sounds up my alley. Oh, hey, I love that movie. That's a, a podcast um, from England about Movies they watch when they were kids, and they're just revisiting them and see if they hold up. It's pretty fun. Oh yeah, that's good. Oh, I also love Lawman, the show that Matt and I were on. Oh yeah, that's a good show. Sci um, Guys as well. Yeah, love both both those. Very interesting. That's like I like interesting, uh, but funny. Kind of what we're trying to do here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we're trying to do, but listen to the shows that achieve it. Lawman mm. and Sci Guys. Yeah, I enjoy. Enjoy listening to those week to week. Thanks, Susie. And finally, we've got Logan Husky here, president of Random Things I've Learned from TV. Ooh. Love that, Mr. President. I love president. the name Logan Husky so much. Love that. And Logan's given a quote. Hi, guys, for my FQOQ. I've stumbled across the rare triple header. It is a quote that is both a fact and a question, so it really feels like I'm getting my money's worth here. Wow. <laughs> from one of my all-time favorite TV shows, The West Wing. Great. Season one. Yes. Episode six. Okay. Mr. Willis of Ohio. During a friendly country. During a friendly game of poker, President Bartlett proclaims that, quote, there are three words in the English language and three words only that begin with the letters D W. Can you name them? Dwight. Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> Dwindle. Oh, Ooh, that feels right. For a hint for one of them and a further quote, witches brew a magic spell in an enchanted forest where fairies dwell. Dwell. <laughs> Dwindle, dwell. And Dwindex. Get it? Like Windex. That's good. I don't know if it is. Dwar. Dwayne. Dwown. Dwarf. 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 Fantastic. Holy shit, Bob. We've got him. Bing, bing, bing. Dwindle, dwarf, dwell. Thank you so much. And dwown. They didn't get that in for some reason. I'm dwowning. I'm dwowning here. <laughs> oh, help me. I'm dwowning. <laughs> As always, thanks for a cracking podcast. It is always a great start to the week when I see a new app pop up in my feed. Can't wait to see a live show up in here in Brisbane in the new year from Logan. Cheers, Logan. Thank you, Logan. I just want to say I got dwindled pretty quickly. A little too quickly. Yeah. Do you remember that episode that. of... Uh, West Wing? Uh, I don't remember the poker game. There's a lot of impactful moments in the West Wing, though. Very dialogue-heavy show, thanks, Aaron Sorkin. But to get a fact quote a question in one here. Um, That's impressive, though. Fact quote a question Are we here. doing a show in Brisbane in the new year? Maybe. Great. Have we booked that in? No. Oh, it makes it sound like you had tickets already. I'm <laughs> like, panicked. have we booked that in? I mean, we should do. We should do. And we will do. Hey, the next part of the show is where we like to thank a few more of our fantastic Patreon supporters. We give these people a shout-out, and uh, usually Jess comes up with a bit of a game. Look, pretty heavy topic. I think let's play it safe and say what Olympic sport they're participating in. Oh, good stuff. What are they representing their country in? Okay. Can be winter or summer sport. 
Fantastic. Okay. Sitting in this hot pod studio right now, I'd love a winter sport. Okay. I think my brain's going for snowball fight. Okay. Is that one? Well, like, shut up and we'll do it. And we'll use that. Don't waste it, you know? Don't waste don't it. Don't waste it's it. not waste it. I'll just do it for the don't, first one. Don't waste it. If you say the name, I'll say snowball fight. Okay. Well, you usually start. Well, should I? Yeah. Well, I'd love to kick it off. Uh, and if I could thank from Ellington in Florida in the United States, it's Joshua Brownell. Oh, what sport is Joshua playing, Matt? Uh, luge. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Luge is fun. Is that which, a luge is that champion? Like the one like tobogganing, fast tobogganing. Yeah, lying down. Yes. <laughs> I love those ones. Those ones are ridiculous. Oh. Dave and I, when we were in the UK, watched a lot of old clips of Ryan HG. On uh, the ice stream. Yes, there's some great stuff on YouTube. And it was Dave initiating the watching of that? Or? I think it was, actually. I, so, yeah. first night, Matt puts it on, and I'm I'm gripped. I've never seen it before. It's so oh, funny. Because right. you've been quoting it all day, and we're like, oh, let's watch one of the clips. Then, night after night, we come back from the gig. It's quite late. We put on a bit of Roy and HG, maybe order a pizza, and it, we're, we're just watching. They are so funny. So we, funny. We change a few algorithms as we travelled around the UK. <laughs> yeah, every smart TV has been ruined. <laughs> but yeah, they, they they had some great ones on the on the bobsled, especially just talking about they basically they jump in. No, that's on, that was the luge, I think. The jump on, is and they now you'll see they go to sleep. Now they have to go to sleep till the end. Basically, they're just lying down there. <laughs> The one where there's like one lying on top of another person, basically. Yeah, is that like double double. Yeah, there's two people. Oh my gosh, two man luge. Looks so uncomfortable, but it looks very Joshua Brownwell or Brownell. 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 How now, Brownell? It's Weasel. <laughs> and I'd also love to thank. Well, this person, address unknown, can only assume from somewhere deep within the fortress of the moles. I'd love to thank Brian Atty. Brian Atty. Brian Atty is, of course, gymnast. A gymnast. Yeah. Specializing in the rings. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Love that. Gosh, those guys have the biggest guns. Yeah. I learned the other day that you'll see them, like, they go up on the rings and they sort of flatten their hands out. Yeah. And the reason they do that is to show the judges that they're not, um, using, like, leaning on their wrist, that it is oh. entirely in there. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is wild that it is entirely in their hands. Yeah, it's wild. So it's, it's all in their arms. It's got to be the I'm most sorry. Olympic of sports as well, you know, the rings, the Olympics, <laughs> the rings, and they're, mm. they're uh, working on the rings. What about the gymnastics, uh, The you know, when they're doing artistic gymnastics, they've got the rings. Oh, yeah. Throw them around. Or that one with the ribbon and they're twirling, it looks like rings. Yeah. yeah love that's the true. ribbon. I'd be really proud of myself if I was a ribbon yeah, gymnast. I would, I'd love to be able to flutter my way to gold. Yeah. I've given it a crack. Have you? Oh, yeah, of course. You must. Every little girl gets a ribbon at some point. <laughs> These days, you know, oh, everyone gets a you know participation award yeah. ribbon. <laughs> Kids are these bloody does. <gasps> I'd also love to thank from Hexham in Great Britain, Chris Short. Chris Short is, of course, fantastic at the heptathlon. Oh, which is <laughs> all. Six, six, five, eight, seven. Yeah. Seven events. That's right, isn't events. it? Oh, my God. I'm really. These are the events. Go through them, please. Seven events. Okay. We are looking at 100 meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meter sprint, long jump, javelin throw. 800 metres. Jack of all trades kind of event. Yeah. Jeez, you said that with a real wet mouth, Dave. (laughs) 
And you know I've got a dry yeah, throat. Sorry, I'm showing off here. Absolutely rubbing it in. Um, can I thank some people as well? Please do. I would love to thank from Cork in Ireland, Colm O'Leary. Colm O'Leary. When the Cork, what's, what's, what are you thinking? When I think Cork, mm. I think uh, the famous Dennis Committee commentary line in the AFL. He bobbed up like a cork in the ocean. Ooh, and okay. that just makes me think of triathlon. You got the boy, you know, that boy bobbing in the ocean. They got to swim around. Oh, yeah. Mm. Column. Triathlete. Triathlete. Cool. Triathlete. Love it. Uh, I would also love to thank from Caulfield North in Victoria, Laura Brayshaw. Archery. Oh, how very Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the thing about Laura is she won by splitting an arrow. Yeah. Wow. On her knee. Pretty wild stuff. Basically, it was very unsportsmanlike. Real tantrum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that was the competitor's only other arrow. So, so Laura yeah, won by Laura default. Won. Um, and I would also love to thank, again, from deep within the Fortress of the Moles, Tiffany Jane. Tiffany Jane. Tiffany Jane. Oh, Tiffany Jane was so good. Jess, all you were about to say, you knew as well as I did. Yeah, it's the snowboarding. Yeah. Love that. Half pipe. Yep. Or death. Does some flips. Yeah. Half pipe, is that the motto? That was, yeah, that's Half what's pipe written on death. her board. <laughs> it's pretty badass it's if you think about badass. it. It's very badass. Yeah, got it yeah, got written underneath. Yeah. Very sick. So when she does a cool flip thing, mm. everyone could see that. Yeah, some cool like, slow motion shots of that's, that. That's sick. That's Hmm, badass. Badass. Dave, do you want to thank some people? I would love to thank from Hearn Hill in Victoria, Jess Green. Jess Green, great first name, great last name. What about yeah, big fan of that Jess name. Green tearing it up on the table tennis court. Ooh. Ping, pong, ping, pong, ping, pong, game, set, match, Jess Green. Yeah, that's good stuff. She ponged on. She ponged hard and she ponged right I mean, and she ponged yep. true. Jess Green, it's a little early for this, but yes, Queen, Ooh. Jess Green, warming up for the next section of the thing. We've got any Jess Green. Finally, well, not finally, actually, I'd like to thank from London in Ontario, Canada, I believe this I'm is. I'm from London, eh? <laughs> That's Brendan Charles. Brendan Charles, BC. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, BC. Uh, What's that skiing where they just go down a really steep hill, a slope, and then they go the like- knees go up the whole time? Oh. And they just sort of fly, fly through the air for a bit. Oh, and it's like sort of distance. Yeah, yeah. Thing, like like an, Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. Eddie the Eagle. What's that? What's I think it was like long jump. Long ski? Long ski. Let me look up Eddie the Eagle. Ski jumper. It's just Is it just ski jumping? According to Google, actually, I'm just trying to prove I'm not a robot for a second here. <laughs> Only a robot would want to find out what Eddie the Eagles event was. Uh, I think it's, it's ski called ski jumping. jumping. Yeah. yeah, ski jumper. Yeah, it's a groan, and that just that. Thunk, yeah, that and the way that thunk. they spread they spread their skis. It yeah, looks so and they, funny. And they're so, you can tell they're flexible. Yeah, because they're they're, of- they're like almost horizontal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look at this photo. Wild stuff. Yeah, they're basically sick. lying down while standing I up. I could do that, I reckon. <laughs> I could do that. So all the flexibility there is sort of in the ankle region? I guess so. They sort of somehow those, bent you, their shin. Those hammies have got to be real yes. bendy. And I have got the opposite of that. 
I think if I would think I'm doing that, but I'd look at it and it would be a full right angle, my body to the skis. <laughs> and finally, I'd like to thank from Manchester, this is crazy, Manchester, but in the United States, what? I believe in New Hampshire, Emily Path. Emily Path. Emily Path. <sighs> got to be Olympic walking, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. The race walking. Yeah, yeah. God, it looks silly. It's on the hips. I do that so often. I've never done it properly, but I do it so often. Mm. It's so fun to do. It's oh, just to get the arms moving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing get a bit of the chicken going. Da- chicken dance mm, going. Mm, 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 There's mm. a great uh, rampaging Roy Slavin rant on one of the episodes of The Dream where he's saying that an Aussie was ripped off because the whoever won gold was cheating, <laughs> and he and he had some runners up on the table saying there's always got to be a heel or a toe <laughs> on the ground, and this is what they're doing. You can see. <laughs> That's great, right? That's funny stuff. And Emily Path getting the gold medal. Thank you so much to Emily, Brendan, Jess, Tiffany, Laura, Colm, Chris, Brian, and Joshua. Dave, what's the last thing we need to do? The final thing is to induct anyone that needs to be inducted into the Triptych Club. Mm -hmm. These people have been supporting the show on the shout-out level or above for three consecutive years. And to enshrine them in glory, we induct them into our clubhouse, our Hall of Fame, our Hangout Zone, exclusive to these people. Uh, and we, uh, yeah, we, we welcome them in. Just the one this week. Oh, just one, just one on the list. Wow. And uh, Jess usually, she's behind the bar. Well, this is disappointing because I was going to, you know, I'm going to put on a real spread. We've got one person coming in. No, everyone else is already in there. Yeah, they're not allowed to leave. Oh, one hungry. new person. One new person. Oh, come on. The people from last week and before that, they're still worthy of your excitement. I don't know if they are. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they are. And uh, this week... I've got a real uh, a, a classic German spread of currywurst, schnitzel, etc. Oh Ooh. wow! I'm looking forward to that, etc. Yeah, yeah. Big, big fat and juicy big old sausages. beers. Oh yeah. Ooh. One liter of beer, you please. You have to order it like that. You have to come up and say, Jess, hey Jess, um, I was wondering if I could please get a big old beer. Yeah. If you just say, could I get a big beer, please? I'll say sure, but well, you won't get a big old beer. I could picture you serving out like. Eight steins at a time, you know those tough-armed yeah waiters over in Germany yeah in Bavaria yeah you could do that. that easy right easy yeah with my legs yeah yeah hey <laughs> with your legs and then you know your arms are free for another eight yeah easy easy no worries at all steins at a time sixteen steins <laughs> and Dave you normally book a band oh you're never gonna believe who what have you week. done you're never gonna believe who I've possibly booked. You're never going to believe. <laughs> you're saying possibly you're not sure they're locked in yet? or? Uh, yes, you're never going to believe. Okay. I'll believe it. Just um, say the name and I'll let, I'll get y- believing. Obviously, it's a German topic. Mm-hmm. You're never going to believe this. You haven't got Ramstein, have you? No, I'm afraid they said no. But you know who didn't say no? <laughs> Did they say no? They would have said nine. Nine. <laughs> Craftwork. Craftwork. Holy wow. shit. Wow. The Craftwork. I'm still working on Ramstein for another week. Great. Oh, my God. Fingers that's craft work. Holy shit, that's exciting. Do, 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 do. Is that them? Do, 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 do. <laughs> that's not, I don't think. Um, all right. <laughs> so uh, I've got the clipboard. I'm going to read out one name this week. Oh, my goodness. Dave is on the stage. He's the MC of the night. Uh, he's ready to hype them up as they enter the building. Everyone already in. There's probably, I think, maybe 300-odd people already in. They're going to be chanting along, clapping, cheering. Uh, and Jess is going to be tapping Dave's butt to calm him down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you all ready? Let's rock. Ready. 
Uh, Dave also, just to warn you, Dave does a bit of weak sort of wordplay work oh based God, on their name or their God place. Damn it. It's in- Mate, rest oh. your voice, well, all right? I just don't want them to be like, what just happened? I think it's... Yeah, it's hard to... Oh, these me- people have been a patron for three years. I think, people will- I think they've heard enough of this. Other people are listening too. To know that Dave has always done a great job and will continue to do There's a great job. There's some people listening to this since their first episode. And they've listened this far. Yes. And how is, that doesn't mean they know that Dave's right, about to do it. All right, just read the name. I'm, I've had enough. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we Don't go. Hit me. Hit me. Here we go. Who we got? Who we got here? From Summerland in British Columbia in Canada, it's Joel Tremblay. I feel like I'm in Joel Land. Okay. Summerland. Summerland. Yeah. Okay. Joel Population Dave. I'm trombling with excitement. Oh, that's pretty Are good. You yeah. Fucking serious? You went for Joel Land. I you didn't are, understand it at all. You tromblay me like a pack of cards, and I like it. I don't get that one. Play me like a pack of cards. Got it. Right? Okay. Tromplay. Well, Joel, sorry about everything. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Perhaps Matt was right. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't give in to Am him. Am I team Matt now? Joel <laughs> Land. <laughs> Joel <laughs> did feel like he had a lot to work with there. And that's what he chose. I'm not in uh, pole position. I'm in Joel position. Okay, I that's think good. that's better. I don't like to role play. I like to Joel play. <laughs> in the get, bedroom. It's getting Joel. worse. Let's it's move on. It's getting more personal. Uh, anyway, welcome in, Joel. Make yourself at home. Joel, Grab you are my soul. yourself a bratwurst. Yep. Uh, and uh, and yeah, a big old beer. A big old beer. Enjoy that, Joel. And, uh, yeah, well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Is there anything else we need to tell people, Bopper? Uh, that they can suggest a topic. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. There's also a link on our website, which is dogoonpod.com, where you can also find info on live shows, um, previous episodes, all that good fun stuff. And uh, you can find us at dogoonpod across social media as well. And finally, the last thing I need to tell you is that we love you. Mm. Absolutely. You're absolutely right From there. deep, deep down. Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, I'll say thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Oh, no, my voice went. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.